So far as the GA are concerned, in this matter, it's nothing to do with the individual teams. This is to do with the GAA protecting its own rules, protecting its own reputation. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Good morning to you. Welcome along. It's uh, Thursday morning. Shane, how are you? Good morning. How are things? Uh, Manchester United feeling themselves. They're in their flowers. Well, it's so reactive, isn't it? You lose to... Or you draw a Palace late, you lose to Arsenal, but then a, a little cup win just brings you right back up there. Veg- Veghorst, he the man. He's a big man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six foot six. Lovely finish as well. Um, that's what Roy Keane said, you know, this is what he's going to bring. He mightn't score that many goals, but if he scores a few important goals over the six months or the loan signing period that, it, that, that he's there for, then he'll do a job. Henrik Larsson was, was at United for three months. And is that all? I think it was just three months. Right. I think it was January to the end of the March. End of March. Scored a few, few important goals. I'd say there's a lot of Man United fans who have uh, Henrik Larsson jerseys. I'd say so. I was there for his last game against uh, Lille at Old Trafford, and I think he scored on that night in the Champions League, and came around and met all the fans, got autograph off him afterwards, and... All the usual stuff. So he was a lovely fella, old Henrik. Uh, but yeah, I think he's a bit of a cult hero at Old Trafford. Although some people probably forget that he ever played at United, with United because it was such a short period. Vout could do the same. Vout's going to stay though, right? They're going to buy Vout. Like, well, if he if he scores plenty of goals, um, but he's one of the manager's guys. He's my, yeah. yeah, my number one guy. Yeah, but I think they need, I think they need someone better, better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't think anybody's under any. Uh, Illusions about that. Right, if you're a Man United fan and you're feeling yourself this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can uh, get us on the YouTube comments. Uh, you can also uh, tweet us. Now, we're, we're going to cover this story, I think, for one last time this week. <laughs> Adrian Barry, the ghost of Banquo. All week long, the public have been demanding, where the hell is Adrian Barry? And finally, you're here. Here he is. Morning, lads. I don't get the ghost of Banquo uh, reference, but I'm happy to be here. For Jerry's references, I often find you just have to sometimes nod and smile, and then he just moves on. Did you never read a book in your lives, lads? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nodding and smiling, Shane. Nodding there you and go. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The, the smiling dog. So, Nathan, as, um, as one of the only representatives... Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> it's, written, it's written in front of here. 7.32am on this Thursday morning. Oh, my God. We're going to hit refresh. Yeah. How's the, how's the mood in your WhatsApp groups, Adrian? Um... What are you talking? What are you asking me about? <laughs> United, United uh, Forest, obviously. United fans. Yeah. Um, ah, yeah. Look, um, obviously, anybody who's watched um, on a regular basis knows I'm a member of Kilmacud, and I would have loved to have been on before now, George. You know, um, but uh, for various reasons, uh, mainly to do with my own sickness, um, I haven't been able to. Uh, I'm obviously not speaking on behalf of the club either, so don't ask me to. Um, Speaking behalf of the club, obviously I'm not doing that. I am a paying member. I'm very happy to be a paying member. Um, and, you know, in the sense that, like, you know, off Broadway, let's call it as we are at the minute, um, I have a good idea of the qualities of the club. And um, that doesn't change, regardless of the fact that, you know, Darren Mullen said on the pitch, when he should have come off on uh, on Sunday afternoon. And, um, yeah, so, and, and look, we can get into that. Um, what's the mood? I think people are... Um, 
the, the WhatsApp groups are busy, obviously, and people people are on to me given the uh, nature of the conversations um, we've been having on air. And yeah, people are are uh, devastated is one word that's been used. And I do think that like um, nobody, there's been a bit of a like vilification of croaks, and um, not 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 on, on one channel alone, but on various channels. And it's all right. Ronald Dwyer called us out specifically. You can yeah, you can do the same if you want. No, no. Look, that's that. That's as it is. Ryan, Ryan Edward doesn't have to see you five days a week uh, for eight hours. So, um, I'll be more polite about it. But um, yeah, I, 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 I doesn't take into account. Uh, like, by the way, I, I should say nobody is. Uh, Croak's not looking for anybody to pat them on the back, of course. Um, but I think the kicks up the ass they've got this week have been probably a little unfair in the sense that, like, they're as entitled to win. Uh, the Ireland as Glen are or as anybody else are. They're a club in existence. They're a brilliantly run club. They're a brilliant club uh, to be involved in. The uh, work they do for the community is is off the charts. Um, they engage an awful lot of young people, um, which, again, some of users stick to beat them with. And it does feel as if, like a lot of the commentary, is a culmination of like a lot of frustration for people over the years, whether it's like an anti-Dublin thing, it's an anti-Croaks thing because of the size of the club, it's an anti-Shane Walsh thing, because people could just use another stick to, to beat the club with. But I think Can we yeah, just devastation use... is definitely um, one word that's been used. Devastation. And... Is that what you said? Sorry, I interrupted you. Devastation. Is that what you said? It, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, one tone that's coming through that like people are, um, for the players and for everybody else, like, look, nobody has wanted to be in this position. It's an awful position to be in for everybody. And... Um, yeah, so I think that's the obviously everybody needs to figure out where where we go from here. I was at the game on Sunday, um, and I was sat probably about twenty rows back from um, where the Crooks uh, management was. Obviously, uh, I'm an absolute blowing. Um, I've been there for a year and a half, um, so my uh, passion for Crooks is still a growing thing in terms of supporting them. And uh, my kids are off the charts uh, for them, but um, yeah, I was sat about twenty rows back. Um, I was watching Robbie Brennan a fair bit and the management staff towards the end just to see um, sort of, you know, what, what the reaction was going to be, obviously, the full-time whistle. You could see events unfolding and it did look to me, you know the way in the middle of a game, whether you're at it or watching on TV, you have a million thoughts about a million things as the game's unfolding. And there was definitely a thought for me with that substitution towards the end where I was like, I've only seen one player come off and I could see Mannion and I was like, is there not... There is, isn't there? And then you just move on because of the excitement of the thing. Um, and so, yeah, no sort of, obviously the trophy gets presented. Um, there was no sense immediately in the ground at that time that there was anything up. Um, and then we sort of shot out of there fairly early. Um, and went home. We, the kids were mad to go down, um, to the homecoming afterwards. So I went down to that. And yeah, at that stage, the murmurings had sort of started around. It certainly wasn't dominating every conversation, but it had started to build and build and build at that point. Obviously, it was doing the rounds in social media. Some people who were at the game had spotted it. Um, and the consequences of it were only starting to really unfold at that stage. Okay. Um, I, I do. I do think that uh, you, you talked there in the middle of it, and when I interrupted you, sorry about that. The um, the reasons why this has become such a big story are because it's anti Dub, it's anti Croaks, it's anti Shane Walsh. I don't, I don't think any of that's actually real. Like, I, I think that Croaks have built a siege mentality around the whole nobody likes us because we're the biggest, and and they resent being called a super club, as do uh, Nafina resent being called a super club because they have such big numbers they think that it's a negative I, I actually think like the, the point you make about they do great stuff for the, the uh, work around 
um, the community. Every GA club has that. Like every every GA club thinks that about themselves. That is every GA club's identity. Is like we're taking young boys and girls away from the street corner, and we're giving them purpose, and we're giving them skills to deal with life, and we're teaching them how to win and lose. I don't know. Maybe maybe people resent the fact that any GA club claims that more than another one. Um, but I, I it doesn't like I I don't buy the whole. There's a um, there's an anti. Croaks glee to what's going on. I think it's just a question in this instance of fairness. Like, well, I feel like if it, was, if it was the other way around, the the vilification would have been equal equally as strong. You know, if Glenn, had but I don't think there's been vilification. No, I, no, I, no. I actually reject that there's been vilification. I think that when something unfair happens, you either call it out or you don't. And if you don't call it out, then you don't stand for fairness. Yeah. And I think in this instance, it, it has come down to that. And obviously, we've been attacked uh, by um, supporters of uh, Croaks. I'm not saying members of Croaks, uh, but you know, some members of uh, Croaks have been looking for my phone number late at night from other colleagues of ours going, oh, we want to talk to them. I'm like, fair enough. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. Like, slide into my DMs, lads. That's fine. But I think this is a question of fairness. And... Ultimately, the rule is really straightforward. If you've got 15 on the pitch, you've got 15 on the pitch. And, and the repercussions are also really straightforward. So I, like, I think if, if Glennon had 16 on, on the field for the last play, mm. that would have been unfair too. And, and they shouldn't have been allowed to win that. I think that like, if the Dubs win in All-Ireland this year and they've 16 men on the field against Kerry, or if Kerry do it against Dublin, even against Dublin, I would still say, I don't think that's right. And like, I mean, I'm... I live in Dublin, but I'm I'm a Kildare fan. Yeah. If Kildare win with 16 men on the field, it'll break my heart. But we'll have to give a replay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, there's a lot in that. Um, the vilification bit. Look, uh, I can understand where they're coming from. They've like, you know, um, I have no idea that what you're talking about there. But like, if you're involved in the team or you're around the club, they've been through this. Um, croaks are not. Also, yes, that would have been. They're currently stand. Uh, depending on which side of the fence you fall, they've either won two All-Irelands or three All-Irelands. They're not like a Finbars or a Vincent's or a, um, uh, there's, uh, what you call them, Limo. Um, like they're not like serial winners. This is not like something that, 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 um, people are used to coming into the club. And like, of course, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't, by the way, for a second suggesting that they were in any way different or positioned themselves in any way different to any other club. I've, un- I've been only there to, to say it again. A year and a half, and my experience of it has been, um, as I've said a million times, and I'm not just bringing it up now, um, has really blown me away with how they harness the volunteer movement of the community and all that stuff. And I appreciate that there are sidebar conversations, and most people listen to this are saying, yeah, 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 but what about the game? And look, and I get that, but I do think as well, it's also important to give that context. Um, and yeah, look, in terms of the game, there's the two sides to it, Joe, right? There's the stuff that happened uh, on the pitch, the rights and wrongs of that, and this is stuff that happened afterwards, right? So if you take the first part of that, uh, I'm assuming, and um, I can be as naive as anybody in this, but I'm assuming that uh, it was a mistake on everybody's part. You know, the substitutions are made. There's a mad melee. Michael very, I thought, put it very well earlier in the week. There's a mad uh, sense. I, by the way, I have no idea what it would be like to be on the end of the pitch like that at an All-Ireland final where all hell is breaking loose. And there's a low percentage chance, you have to accept, that Glenn, uh, a chance, but a low percentage chance that Glenn are going to get some sort of a score 
um, from the 45 and that again history is going to repeat itself so that lends into the madness so I can see a, a situation where the sub comes on Mullen doesn't see it he doesn't come off and he stays on and then you have the added confluence of the linesman on the on the who's come in off the sideline who raises a flag for whatever reason God knows putting the flag down and then Glenn take the free uh, quickly and then at that point Heads are gone from every side. Like heads are gone from the from the line staff because it appears as if uh, Maliki Rourke was asking for the forty five to be retaken. It would have obviously just done and dusted it right there. Yeah. Um. If if the officials had have agreed to it at that point, so I just think I think that's the first part, and you'd have to accept that. Sorry, my assumption of what happened there is that that was all. Um, really unfortunate and not in the slightest bit deliberate. Yeah, and it, it, look, it was a slim chance that Glenn would score. I guess the point is that it's a, not a, yeah. a, it's not a zero chance that they wouldn't have scored. Uh, like, the other thing is, I suppose, you know when you say, like, you know, whether it's two or three All-Irelands now for, for Kilmacud is a matter that's that's up in the air. Is there, an, is there an element, do you feel or think, Adrian, where within Kilmacud that, that are saying, we're on three now and that's it? Uh, I haven't a clue. Not a notion. Like... Genuinely, how how would I know? I do think that I do think that. I'm um, uh, sorry from from the from the people that I've been talking to who are just same sort of pain club members myself. Um, there's certainly there's certainly nothing like that going on. Mm. There's certainly nobody going. That's our trophy, and we're hanging on to it. I've no sense of that. Maybe that's what happens in the end. I've no idea. Um, the but point, yeah, just on that on that second part, the, then obviously. Sorry, on that though, the point about the deliberateness or not, like it, it, it's largely irrelevant. Did they get an unfair advantage in that final play? You know, yes or no, and if it's yes, you go ahead, and if it's no, like uh, then the rule wasn't broken, and, and that's my point. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, exactly, the exactly. semantics exactly. around the, they, there's obviously uh, there's been a, a lightning rod. To, to use the word cheating. Uh, I I feel like, and we had this conversation with Nathan yesterday, so I don't want to rehash the whole thing. In my opinion. If you get an unfair advantage, that's the very definition for me of cheating in any sport, in any instance, right? Uh, you would disagree with that, I think. And uh, as as has not 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 really, not really. I, I would I don't want to rehash Nathan's argument. Needless to say, I was I was uh, I was leaning towards uh, trending towards Nathan's side that people cheat all the time, and that's that is a part parcel of sport, as they say. But yeah, the deliberateness of it, I think. I, I know you say it's semantics. I think it's kind of important enough because it does like speak to the spirit of something like they weren't out to try and shaft somebody you know what I mean like if Glenn had gone ahead and somehow got a goal out of that and like I say uh, I don't want to oversight it because I don't know it's a low percentage play it wasn't like somebody grabbed the ball and dived over the line and uh, like absolutely cheated to score a you know, goal to win the game and, <laughs> what are you talking about Nate? Or, uh, <laughs> like, you, Jesus you, you Christ you know what I'm saying what you, so, yeah, we do so I'm just saying it's a, it's a in my view, and well, uh, totally uneducated outside of like um, been a in- very interested and regular observer, uh, I'd have no experience on the pitch. It looked to be low enough percentage, but Shinne, like that's that's it, as you, exactly as you say, shouldn't have been sixteen players on the pitch. The seventeenth thing is a total misnomer. It's a technical breach, and we would not be having this conversation today. It had been in terms of the spirit and stuff. It had been incredibly bad form on anybody's part to have been tried to force a replay based on that. So I, th- I think that that's not even a discussion point, to be honest. But yeah, so the second part then is like, you know, everybody gets their time to sit back and like, I would say calmly, but I'm sure that everybody's out uh, celebrating or commiserating, whatever. Um, but everybody gets to calmly sit back and say, what are we going to do from here? And Glenn took their, what was it? 
three days, three and a half days, whatever it was, to um, make up their mind and push it back to Crow Park. And then suddenly, you know, Croaks um, have to take their own time to think about that. And I think that's fair enough. Like the game was never going to happen this weekend anyway. So just take the time, think about what's right for everybody. Um, I'm hoping personally that they agree to a replay and that we can all move on with life. And uh, I said to you in the channel earlier in the week, um, my two kids are uh, over the moon um, about the prospect of a return trip to wherever it might be and uh, and the excitement and the flags and the sweets, uh, particularly that would follow. Uh, I don't know that that's everybody's. Um, uh, uh, you know, my kids are probably too young to have been uh, too uh, to use that word devastated by, it, but I'm sure there's uh, other households um, where kids are sort of feeling the heat over. But that's it. Like it's a good chance to sit down, What's talk that? with your kids about yeah. why all this comes about. And it is, isn't yeah. it? It is. It is. I think that's a key point in this, right? And it's interesting that you've you've got to that point where you think. The replay is the right thing to do. We asked Nicky Brennan yesterday, former president of the GA, morally, what's the right thing to do? And he was like, replay. Mm. Like, straight out. And yeah, and it, no one's trying to screw Croaks here. That's the thing. Like, no one is trying to screw them. This is really... But important. I don't think that they're... I don't think... I've no, I've no sense of... I know there was... I, you had a bit of a story yesterday that I, I can't remember um, who had written it, that there was some sort of a sense that they weren't going to replay. I, I have no sense Declan of Bogue on. On, the, on the back of the... Uh, yeah. I, I don't know which paper carried it yesterday, was saying that there's there's definitely a mood in, in Croaks, you know, uh, like that has grown to a point of like, well, I, you know, uh, they can... Like, there's definitely... There's, there's WhatsApps going around that are purported to be from the, the inside the group going, they can take the cup up the road if that's what they want. Best, best to look to them, you know? But we yeah, want the game like, on the field. And like uh, on, the moment stuff too, though, isn't it? Exactly. And I'm going to be, I'm going to show, I hope up to this point, I haven't shown too much advice, but I will show a little bit of leaning towards them here and say like, it's a bunch of lads who, as I said, I was down at the homecoming, the the um, sense of occasion and um, like, I, I, you know, I, you know, you know where I'm from, Jerry, right? And uh, not Mullingar, the other one, and uh, the county I come from, we don't see too much success um, so it was unbelievable just to see how all this thing unfolds um, uh, when it eventually happens. And like it's the same for the regular people, member of, as you said earlier on, a regular club. They're from uh, Dublin. They're from uh, Stillorgan. They're from Donegal. They're from Westmead. They're from Galway. I'm, I'm down there every Saturday morning. There are people from all over the country doing unbelievable work. And they're the type of people who are down there um, on Sunday. And and you just look at the team. They're delighted with it. They're generally, geez, I remember the first time I saw them last year when they came back from the Leinster and I saw them up close. I was thinking, geez, here's the under-21s. Uh, the, the senior team must be coming through fairly soon. They're like a bunch of very young fellas. And um, I'm sure they're up and out enjoying themselves. And and as I said, as much as like I'm sure some of the club members are devastated, I'm certain that the players are too. Like, that, you know, consider that they... Final whistle went. The vast majority of players in the pitch haven't a clue about a 16th player. I'm certain of it, including probably the player involved himself. Uh, I'll actually know he'd come off at that point, so he was probably aware of it. Uh, but the vast majority of players have no idea that that's going on. They're celebrating, they're picking up the trophy. So they've been through all that range of emotions. I'm sure at some point after that, somebody somewhere starts to mention it and then it starts to trickle down and then suddenly you're in a slightly different thought process. But you have to consider that there's... Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people involved in the team itself, apart from anything else, who like 
you know, had been working no harder than anybody else, but equally as hard as everybody else to try and get to that position. And, and you can only imagine the devastation that's involved. We'd welcome both up to Clonus if you want to meet halfway somewhere. Maybe Breffney Park is probably a more realistic um, venue, perhaps, for a, for a game if it's on neutral territory. Like Ryan O'Dwyer was, I don't know, you, you mentioned it, he, he called us out by name and he's entirely within his rights to, to do that the other, day, on, the other day on the show. And he, he disagreed with, with what he had said in the morning. And again, he's entitled to that. But like he even said himself, like he disagreed with the the term cheating, but then he went on to say, "Well, I guess by by definition it's cheating." But you know, so that that's why it's so flaky. You know, it, it's entirely What's down flaky? to your well, it's entirely down to your own perception of what cheating is. You know, we're, I, I I I certainly for one, I'm not going to assume that it, that any of it was premeditated. So. And, and that's as you say, Adrian. There's probably levels to cheating. It's not like an honoree situation where someone or someone has died. No, and no one's saying them. this is U.S. postal. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> good, like good, a, very good comparison. One that cropped into my head. Yeah, the, the long rainbow here, right? It's, uh, it's very low down on the level of. Spe- of but at the of, same of time, at the same time, I I think that that's a sideshow, and I think that it's a handy enough sideshow for everybody involved to go. Oh, we've been accused of something yeah. that we don't feel like we did, and that's the important thing here. And everybody's out to get us, and that bunker seed mentality is like oh it's anti-Shane Walsh it's anti-Croaks it's anti-Dubs and that that's the tone of a lot of the comments like oh you wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't a Dublin team like, it's because I literally I, I live, I live yeah. in Dublin I live in Dublin for longer than I have anywhere else but if the Antrim Hurlers or the uh, Kildare footballers who are the two teams that I really support mm. if they won in these circumstances I'd be like you can't take, you know, I can't take it we you wouldn't want to win exactly. no it's like but but that's not how that's not our culture in, in GA it is you do whatever it is you have to do to get if, if it's Springfield versus Shelbyville we will do whatever we can. We'll we'll soak the slithers for a week in brine to make sure that there's heavy balls. I can't even remember which team that was, but that was the story in one of the Munster finals. Like, oh, well, he's a legend. He cheated with the balls. Yeah. In cricket, it's ball tampering. You get banned for years, and you become an outcast. It's true. I, I, Here like, we're a hero. Like I look, that's a separate conversation. It is, and I, and I think out of this, right? Like Jesus, there. Uh, Nicky Brennan hit the nail on the head yesterday. Like there has to be. There just now has to be. And and I take his point about, like, if you introduce one uh, rule for the Ireland final, it has to be for every other game, whatever it might be. But there's a very simple thing you can do, a uh, very simple step to make to ensure this doesn't happen again. And, like, um, you're definitely looking at the officials going, this could have very easily been easily been avoided. There's a very easy step to put in, like a soccer style, you come off, you go on, and... Um, I just don't, you know, yeah. I, we need to, that needs to happen now. Like, we cannot <laughs> be back here again. So, uh, bumped into a friend over the last few days who has knowledge of the workings of Central Council. And uh, this has come up in the past. People have suggested well, this. And uh, can't be doing that, lads. Bit too like soccer. Was, well, was essentially, it, it, it might not have been said openly, but it was like... Suggested. Oh, you know, a bit, a bit soccerish, isn't it? Like, oh, we can't have the boards. I mean, you could definitely have the boards. And if, the, if that's the case, the chickens have come home to roost. Like, whoever it is that's saying that, but sure, oh you. yeah, but they they won't know. They're the and there's chickens. There's nobody they're squirming. Like, they're, they're the pigeons of peace that have come home to roost. But there's nobody Ooh. squirming more than the CCCC this week, and it's it, it's entirely down to their own fault if they haven't decided to adopt change in recent years on this. Uh, that would be Central Council as opposed to the CCCC. Central Council, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who who would have had the opportunity, or anybody in fairness in any club could make this move yeah. to try and get the thing on. Um, uh, Congress, and then the other thing is, is apparently there's a, some there are some nuances in the rule book, which gave the GAA pause for not intervening, which I think is down to, and you really need to know the case law. 
is down to some somehow in the past these cases have been heard and uh, like I think when they're talking when they're talking about it, it opening up a whole can of worms it wasn't actually about every other game being then reviewable it was more to do with uh, the sentence that they would have to pronounce if they had intervened I think the only option really despite I, I don't understand this but it was explained to me that they would have had to kick Croaks out if they had intervened by the way that the law has been applied in the past now and that would have resulted right. in an appeal and then you're in the dispute resolution authority and then all of a sudden it's Murky like territory. weeks and weeks and weeks whereas what I do think is what I honestly think is if Croaks had come out immediately after the game and said this is a mistake it's an honest mistake uh, we're offering Glenn a replay if they think that, that that had an impact on the outcome of the game and we're happy to meet them and I think in that instance yeah. the pressure on the from the GA community would have been to Glenn going well, lads, you can't you can't take that. You're, you can't take like, that. Look, Do you know? I, I I I don't know what's going on. Sort of. I I, I hopefully earlier on uh, was trying to give some context as to why I think that immediately after the game might not have happened. Right? Because the they were too busy that, like, celebrating. Well, well, and also like, yeah, it's not like it isn't the Dublin comparison isn't isn't you can't make like Dublin win in a Leinster or even in All Ireland to some degree because like they're just in the habit of doing it. This is like a bunch of you know players in a club who've like. You know their second one in whatever whatever number of years it is. It's their second final in, in like they they are high performers. Yeah, they do think of themselves as as Ireland contenders. They are like the best team in Dublin over the last number of years. So I'm not I'm yeah. not entirely on board with the other oh, minnows here. Like and they're only victory. I, I'm not I'm not saying the minnows. I'm not saying the minnows for a second. The 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 idea of the and obviously it's part of the um um. Uh, stated rule book obviously in terms of forfeiting the game like I do think you would you would have to at that point come back to the spirit of the of the of of um, applying that rule um, and I think that would be totally unfair like as I said I think kicking them out low percent. oh yeah low, totally huh? I don't think I, yeah, I, yeah. nobody really wants yeah. that either well in the immediate aftermath I was like well they have to be kicked out because they broke the rules uh, as time goes on you're like well that would be uh, that that would seem to be unfair but actually you do have to you, you have to decide either you're for you're for fairness or you're not and if something well, happens that is outside of the fairness then the punishment should fit the crime. A lot has been made of the fact yeah. that this this happened in a move in the 63rd minute or whatever it was and the game was nearly over. Fergus Kill makes a very good point in the YouTube comments. He says, well, the reaction of being the same at Croaks had 16 men in the field for 15 seconds for a free in the 48th minute. And I, Probably not, but you have to take the context into the fact that it's the end of the game too. Like that, do you though? The facts, yes. the facts, I, I, I think you do. I think the facts are the facts. And like, I think I, 15 so, seconds though, regardless. The, the, the actual play time because the ball goes over the line, Ferris gets the ball and whooshes it away as keepers do. I can't possibly use that ball. I can waste a few more seconds by um, using this other ball. Um, the actual in-play time, because the kick-out is taken and then the ref blows it up. So the actual in-play time is literally the amount of time it takes Glenn to take the 45 and then uh, for it to go wide. It's about seven or eight seconds. So, look, I'm not... Uh, it, 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 there is a chance the ball goes into the back of the net. Ah, look, they're they're the croaks talking points. They're the, they're the talking points. That no, no, that's that, that's I'm I'm, I'm well, not working off any. Uh, okay, but any but they are they are they are the points that have been made immediately by croak supporters on Twitter and have been magnified and are on the side of like, well, sure, it didn't have any impact. Do you know? Like, I, that's but, no, the, I'm I'm, I, I'm offering a more nuanced view in that. Fair enough. I'm saying that it's a very short period of of time. There is a very small. A possibility that within that seven or eight seconds, yeah, but it doesn't matter. 
Len score a goal. Exactly, exactly. But, but I mean, but it just we still, we still bring it up to get it out there to make sure that the point is like in the ether. I think it's. <laughs> listen, if we're going to talk for half an hour, Jerry, we have some, we need to have something to talk about. And I, I must say, I must say that uh, I am, you know, personally, uh, given that I'm a year and a half in the club and um, whatever else I said to, as I said to you, like my um, my my blood doesn't quite bleed purple and gold just yet, and um, you know, but. I would love, uh, I would love a chance for them to go at it again. I think it'd be, um, I think it'd be a great game. I think there'd be so many talking points around it. I think um, as long as everybody's still fit and healthy, and you know, Glass didn't play up to his standards, um, Walsh and Manny didn't play up to their standards. They've now had a, you know, sixty-five minutes. Um, and a load of drink uh, too <laughs> to, to go at it and, and see exactly how it pans out. Yeah, I do. I do hope you know. I think even if they were to play the weekend after next. Uh, if that was the way it was to go, I think at that point, hopefully, that all that would be out mm. of their systems. I'm sure. Uh, sorry, I don't know. I uh, maybe at some point in the week, somebody said to them, "Here, listen, maybe, uh, maybe take it off, to put the handbrake on a little bit." But um, yeah, what a what an amazing replay it would be, and I'd love to go out somewhere provincially. Um, Mullingar would be a great spot. Clonus for me, but yeah. a, big, a big, big game if it happens. Adrian, good stuff. Thanks very much. Thanks, lads. Cheers. It's uh, our own Adrian Barry there giving us his thoughts. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The comments continue to roll in. If you've got a view, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always get us uh, at Off the Ball AM on Twitter as well. Now, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTBAM. Braeburn Coffee is coming to, you, uh, coming to an apple green near you with new Braeburn locations popping up every month. So visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn, B-R-A-E-B-U-R-N, to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. Now, during the ads, you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the Club Championship Show, where manager Pat Hoban, fresh from Ballyhale Shamrocks, winning the All-Ireland Hurling Club Senior Championship in uncontroversial fashion, uh, was alongside Will and Ashling to reflect on their win over Dunloy. The club championship on Off the Ball is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. We're back after this with Paul Ganey. OTB AM It is a minute past eight uh, this morning and I'm delighted to say uh, Paul Ganey is with us ahead of the beginning of the Allianz Leagues which return this weekend. The beginning of the Allianz Leagues represents the dawning of new possibilities for the season ahead with the Allianz Football League standings determining which counties will compete for the Sam Maguire and Talton Cups. Paul, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. I'm good. You're, good morning. you're out injured at the moment, so not actually technically prepping for this game next week. Is that right? Correct, yeah. I just got a small procedure there before Christmas. Um, it was kind of at me all last year. Well, most last year, but mainly in the club side. And uh, I just needed to get a tidy up if I wanted to continue at the top level. I probably would have got away with it. Um, at club level for another while um, the extra 10 minutes so on county level and the standard as well so um, just got to tidy it up in uh, another few weeks now and hopefully be back for the bulk of the league but we'll see um, Recovering from injury is obviously one of the worst parts of, of being an, an inter-county player are you better at it this time because you know it's for a specific reason of getting back to that level whereas in your middle of your career you're like oh this is just a pain in the ass and I'm missing out Yeah I suppose um, I think you've had he would know as well having it done the years just bits and pieces but and, and some major operations as well so um, I'm plenty experienced with it uh, it's a lonely place to be especially the medium to long term injuries um, but um, I know look it's, it's probably the best time of year if I was to have something it was, it was earlier earlier in the year so that I'll have hopefully a clean bill of health and a good run of it after I get back so 
um, I'm not I'm not very panicked. I, I trust my body as well to to make it back, and um, my fitness is generally good. And I touch wood now, but I don't generally pick up the, the smaller needles and stuff as well during the year. So um, I just trust trust the S and C lads to get me back there, and um, I'll hopefully be be a one then when I get back, and no no further needles. I think that's the key. I suppose when you have a couple of young kids at home, Paul, it probably helps you not dwell on the the little injuries and things like that as well. Yeah, um, it, it definitely does. Yeah, the school run now after I get off the phone to you. So um, we no talk about my injury and how I'm going and how I'll train tonight uh, in the car and the town. There'll be more um, questions about what's this and what's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and have I have I ever heard of a bakugan? Have you? No, a bottle what? A bakugan. No. It's an Irish word, is it? Yeah. Like a Pokemon thing. Ah, TV, right. <laughs> That's where the interest is at the moment. No, See, kids no don't care interest. about medals. They don't care about medals yeah, yeah. or winning <laughs> matches or losing matches. I think Pokemon yeah. is a curse. I, I, uh, and I cursed the day that it entered my life. I, I thought that I, I was finished with it until recently when all of a sudden it has come back. And, um, and uh, we found out a couple of weeks ago that our youngest had brought a fiver in and bought some. I was like, what are you doing? Give him a... Anyway, so... Old, all, old man yells at cloud here. It's all ahead yeah. of you. I was a big fan of Pokemon, so uh, right, yeah, you're you're you're, you're, you're indulging this. Uh, not yet, even until he gets there, maybe. But um, they've all changed too, so I'll be lost. This was it. There's there's a million more of them now than there was in my time. There was only 150 when I which was you could collect them all. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, does no, does no. young Paddy have a so it's a Pokemon in one hand and is it a a football in the other or is as football even uh, entered his his sphere uh, of thinking just yet? Yeah, no, it hadn't. It hadn't really entered his sphere really of Barry going to my games and watching me. But um, and the odd training there Sunday mornings. But uh, more and more is coming now, and and the classmates are big into it as well. Uh, so it's 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 nice. And in the winter there in Dingle, they're up in the hall, uh, so they're not freezing up in the field. And um, I well because of different engagements throughout the winter, and and that I wasn't able to make much of it. But uh, the last uh, one or two there now I've been at, so it's it's, it's good to get up to them, but. Trying to encourage him a little bit more towards the ball. Now, yeah, it's uh, he's he's just turned six last week, so um, it's time for him to to start getting uh, dummy solos, I think, and after left and right. <laughs> well, you're you're born with a football in your hand, aren't you, Donny Kerry? It's, in Dingle, I suppose it's either football or fungi. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, fungi's gone. So um, hopefully, it's all football. No, the Comortis I saw at the launch was this week. Um, uh, this is the. Um, Comortis Pellet Paddy O'Shea tournament that's on every year it goes from strength to strength and it's um, it's a, a massive important event in the area in a generally dead time for tourism yeah it's um, it's, it's great how, how 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 popular it's become as well as a pre-season tournament and that's credit to Paddy there who's driven it on the last couple of years um, and do you know what there's nothing else really happening this time of year so um, it's great for the area as well because there's, uh, I think he brought down 30 plus teams a couple of years ago and maybe he's tightened the ship in that a small bit the last one or two years. But, um, to have that around and in a, in a dead February weekend in, in a small town like Dingle, it's huge for the area. Um, and it gets, it, it, it provides work basically for most of the town for a weekend. And, um, our Dingle is good like that too. There's, there's always something on in Dingle. Um, most weekends there's something on anyway. So, he, he's added to that and um, the quality of football is pretty high um, for, for her pre-season. Um, Dingle play it in every year and get huge value out of it. So, um, And then de- definitely the travelling teams come down and, and they, um, they get, a, they get some, some, um, some bonding time as well, which is, which is hugely important in the, in the calendar fixtures as it, as it goes on there. There's not much time for that. So um, 
a trip to Dingle is, is never a bad idea, I don't no. think. And, um, well, maybe the trip home. Maybe the trip home, <laughs> you think about that on a Sunday. How yeah, but, I, I uh, did, I'm look. People might not know, but you're you're a publican. How has how has Dingle recovered post COVID? Is it is it back? Is it like you know you see on Instagram, all my mates, all my mates have been to Dingle since COVID. It's almost like it was uh, one of the first things that um, they stuck on their list. So is is it back totally? Is it normal again? Yeah, Dingle's back. Yeah, Dingle 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 was there even during the COVID um, period. Dingle was hugely popular as a destination, um, and as much as possible, we tried to put on all the events that were there with safety measures in place. And then where that wasn't possible, um, they were gone for a small while, but everything's back in full flow now again in Dingle. Uh, it started off, I think, with the the Phil and the Bjolton last year, the Pagan Rave, which you, you might have seen. And that was in the back of my place. Um, and uh, that was a, a successful uh, festival. And then from there, it took off. And we, we, had, a, we had a crazy summer. It was great. The weather was super. Uh, we won the All Ireland, which added to the, the Carnival Festival as well around the town and the, and the county. Um, and then there was Horse and Pony Festival in, in, in August, Food Festival, Marathons, the whole lot. Um, other voices then towards the peak end of, or the, the tail end of the season um, in, in this, the start of December. And Christmas went very well too. So um, Dingle's in, in full flow at the moment and can only get better. Hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully more people will start coming as well. Um, they haven't come before and um, and it, it'll it'll lead towards a, a, a guaranteed future for tourism and things because we've often relied on Killarney as a as a kind of a day tripping destination out of Killarney or um, out of other areas. But um, people are more and more coming out for two days and three day stays, and um, that's better for the town. And it's better for the, the small businesses as well that will pick up trade during the day rather than um, just for a day hour or two. And you've dry January finishing as well next Wednesday, Paul, which should uh, which should help as well. Give it a kickstart. Um, I, re- I read somewhere that that's the that's the millennials' um, answer to, to Lent, is it? Um, dry January, <laughs> yeah, a cursed cursed month. Um, I'm sure you, you had a team holiday with the with the Kerry lads before Christmas. Am I right in saying? I'm sure that wasn't a a dry holiday. Yeah, we did. I know it was tame enough. Um, we went to Dubai and uh, Mauritius uh, for, for the bones of 12 to 14 days. Different fellas had, had different schedules and um, it was nice to get away as a group. Um, and we we actually see myself and my wife stayed in Dubai for an extra day or two because she had to come home for the, the kids. And um, I just went on then for two or three days to Mauritius to meet the lads. And um, it was great, great to spend so much time together. And uh, we hadn't really seen each other either since the summer. And um, it was it was a chance to to mend any any um any mishaps from uh, club fixtures and, and all that. So uh, we, we we two good weeks there now, and uh, fellas kept themselves in good shape. Now to be fair, there was no. I tell you, it wasn't the same as the holidays that they had in the in the zero zeros. And that's for sure. <laughs> Not as many stories coming out of them, uh, no doubt. Uh, we'll wait for the books yeah. when you all release books in five ten years. We'll, we'll get the full we'll get the full story. Uh, yeah. You had um, East Kerry, and uh, you know Dingle took on East Kerry at one stage. So you had the the might of David Clifford and Paddy Clifford as well, of course. So that that must have been um, it. Must be enjoyable to come up against the county lads in, in club fixtures. I'd say it's it's quite fierce during the game, and then you're all you're all mates afterwards. Is that the way it works? Yeah, pretty much. It's the same, it's the same as uh, even in training. It's going to be that way. It's, uh, we're all competitors, and we all want to win. Even if it's in training, there might be bust ups and that. And that's so. Um, but no, it's um, it was good to test ourselves against East Kerry because we had a poor championship last year. We were we were dumped out early enough by Cairns Rallies. I think it was quarter final stages, and we were we were fairly well beaten that day. Um, so we were disappointed for 
the bones of eight or nine months to try and get back. And uh, we started slowly in the club championship here and, and did, made the semi-finals, but had a, a sending off in the first minute that kind of cost us. So Temple No and Don, Karen Jahali's obviously beat them in that. Uh, and, but then we got to, uh, to the semi-finals against East Kerry and probably were in, in control as well uh, of the game with, uh, with, I don't know, 72 gone. And Paul O'Shea came on for East Kerry and kicked uh, an equaliser from 40 plus yards with the wind. And um, then Paul Murphy obviously broke our hearts then with a, with a shot from, I, I would say, maybe 55 out towards the, the sideline outside of the booter. And um, it's, uh, it's tough when, you, when, when you're playing against teams that are capable of that because you can't, you can't mark every foul. And uh, even, even though we, we kept uh, David relatively quiet that day and, and Paddy, I think he got one one or one two, but um the goal was a bit of a messy one where every time the rebound came out it seemed to fall to one or two uh, East Kerry fellas and we had about fifteen fellas back there um at that point to the the play. So um we didn't get the luck on the day and they they, they went on and they were deserving winners. You, they probably would say themselves they were only in second or third gear, which would be fair enough, but um we played very well so we were happy out and we acquitted ourselves well. Um that's what we kind of went out to do at the start of that championship. But uh, when you get so close, it's very disappointing. Um, and, you know, it's another year gone, unfortunately, but we, we'll try and come back again this year. You have, you have 15 players back there, you said. You didn't say 16. Maybe a tactic for next year. <laughs> yeah, potentially. What have you made of the whole thing, Paul? Because it's, it's obviously, I guess it's gone in headlines. You know, I'm sure it happens in club football across the country mistakenly time and time again but I guess when it happens in an All-Ireland Senior Club final it, it, it gets the headlines going and, and calls for a replay now this week have been fairly fairly heating up what have you made of the whole thing? Yeah it's um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess I think really at, at this stage um, it's unfortunate it happened uh, human errors it's bound to you know we've all made errors it's just unfortunate that it was the, the biggest game of the club season that this one happened in and um uh, it's it's highlighted probably a grey area in the rule book that um that will be tidied up after this. But uh, I'm not sure how they're going to go about it. I see that there's uh, there has been um, moves made from Glen and and uh, and there's a situation to be dealt with. But hopefully they'll come to a conclusion that will suit both clubs and and keep everyone um, keep everyone content. But um, I just I just feel I just feel sorry for all the the players involved really that have um, put the put the year on hold and and. Uh, They've thought that the game is over on Sunday, and, and this is this is dragging on a little bit. And um, I've, I've seen that there's weddings and, and other commitments. And people are probably have holidays books as is usual the week after All Ireland's. Um, I remember the Dubs had a had a week booked the the, uh, the the week after the 19 final, and they all had to to re um, re, re book that after we drew. And um, I suppose when when they thought it was going to be on the day done. There was there was fellas travelling and stuff, so that's um it's a, it's a messy one and look there's no there's no real winners out of it I don't think so hopefully hopefully it'll come to a good conclusion it's definitely the topic of the week though um and there's probably more than just that in in in, in GA at the moment with the, the the rules that um until they're kind of highlighted they they don't get fixed either because it's um, there's a lot of grey area inside there so um it's unfortunate but it's, I suppose it's just uh, just the way it is. Uh, Paul, on a personal level, <clears throat> pardon me, coming back for the year, like uh, you're at a different stage of your career now where uh, for the vast majority of your career you were an automatic starter, first choice. You've got to try and get back to that position again where, um, you know, 
uh, as training goes on over the course of the week and the team is about to be named, you're like very confident that you're going to be there. How do you do that? What, what's your motivation to make sure that you're at a level that you feel comfortable that you're delivering on your own skill and experience and talent? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I've always said it as long as I'm on the field uh, and if I can get my body right without injury, I, I'm, I'm in with a good chance that I'd hit form at some stage. And um, that's my main focus is to get injury free and, and, and back in a run of training, not miss any sessions. Um, I think that's important, um, definitely for me. Uh, you can just get the consistency in training. Uh, the, the, the other few bits and pieces generally fall in place for me with the, with the work I put in. But um, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's slightly different as I am. I am on the other side of my career at this stage, and, and uh, that there's just huge talent pushing, pushing for places behind me. But uh, I just trust in my own ability, and if 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 what I provide and, and produce over the next six months isn't good enough to get in the Kerry team, I, I probably not being big headed, but I would see that as as a as a, only a positive for the Kerry team because I'm going to push hard and. I, I'm far from far from finished, and my my um, my performances last year are a couple of minutes, and maybe the the semi final and and uh, um, and one or two of the club early club games. I finished strong in the year, and I played very well in the, the county championship as well. So I would say that my my um, my performances aren't really slipping any bit. Uh, maybe the spotlight is on you more as you get older. Well, I think that's a fact. If um, if a younger player. Uh, has one or two good games. They're afforded a couple of bad games with the minute and all the player has one bad game. Uh, the talk is that they're probably done or, um, you know, they're, they're past it. So um, that's probably one of the factors you have to deal with. You have to be more consistent in performances as you get older uh, and then make sure that you don't have those bad days, which you, you're probably afforded when you're younger. I think that's a key point that actually... Um one of the massive successes of the Dublin period when Jim Gavin was in charge was that older players were kept around and some of them saw game time, some of them didn't see game time, but it meant that the standards and training were of players who knew exactly what was required. So the, the new younger players who were coming in were put to the pin of their collar in training and put to the pin of their collar when it came to upholding whatever the value system was to uh, drive the winning culture. And so... It's a kind of underrepresented part of um, your ten thousand hours in around around Kerry squads mm-hmm. all the way back to your to your very start. Like we're not great in the GA at, at um, uh, acknowledging that. It's more oh, kick a wide off you go. Thanks very much. You've had your time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. Um, also, I think it's it's taken me so long um, to learn how to train and 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 learn how to fit the. I wouldn't say fit them all, but uh, you get what I'm saying. Like to to um, play my part in a in a team, and older players the same. Other older players are the same. That there's a lot of value in in um, in younger players from learning from that, and and um, and and up, upholding those standards that the team has. And and uh, we're probably we're probably less distracted, I would imagine, um, than than younger players that have. Uh, that have you know college lives and and um, different bits and pieces going on. My life is pretty, uh, it's uh, it's pretty boring at the moment. If if you if you if you want to um, compare it to some fellow that's doing lots of different things, um, you know I I work, family and and football, and I, I love that routine. Um, I'm I'm very content with that, and uh, 
it probably it probably helps that it's it's you know that it's it's a set thing every day for me and the routine is 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 the same so i'm not i'm not distracted in any way which i might have been a couple of years ago um from other things that are going on so i think that helps as well that uh that you might have those couple of fellas in, in the squad no younger players mightn't be distracted either but i think that um the older the players there's, there's probably there's probably more continuity in their life so that'll definitely help them the young lads in the team have, have Pokemon to distract them, I'm sure, as well. And things <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. At this stage of your career, Paul, do you, do you try and find, especially year after you've won in All-Ireland, I guess you have to try and find motivation from somewhere and not newspaper on the dressing room wall, but, but a reason to come back and keep going. It strikes me that Kerry haven't defended an All-Ireland since, since 2007. So is that, is that, a, is that a, a real thing in your, your minds as a, as a squad? You want to not just be a, be a, a winning team, but an iconic Kerry team. Um, I don't think I don't think that's anything no in in our minds at the moment. I think uh, I think all we're trying to do is get performances and and uh, and make sure that we're getting the best out of ourselves. Uh, I think personally that if you if you maximise your talents and and um, you're doing everything right and you're you're getting performances, that the consequences might be the, the silverware at the end of the day. And if you obsess yourself about getting silverware. At the start, then you're you're missing all the you're missing all the fun and and um, the enjoyment of the day to day training and the, everything that goes on in between because you're so um, focused on something in, on the horizon that you'll miss what's at your feet. So um, we we kind of try to approach it with uh, with with just enjoyment of every day and and driving each other to to, to get it, to get performances every every training session and every every weekend. So. Um, that's what the lads will be doing this weekend. Now there's a lot of new guys in, and, and we're small bit behind the curve because we can come back until um, 28th of December or so. So um, the, 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 it'll be tough for the first while, but um, that's that's the way we're going to approach it. We won't be we won't be looking at um, any to talk about legacies or uh, history books or any of that because that's that's what you do when you hang up the boots mm. and then you look back. But and, and it's talk for the media, but. Um, it's not. It's not talk that we'll entertain in our dressing room. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Orla, Orla Farmer kind of said something similar yesterday. She's just retired, of course, from uh, mm. from Cork as a footballer, and she was saying, you know, the six All Irelands almost don't matter at this stage. It's it's nearly the memories and the and the years with the girls and the team that that, that she holds on to. You, you, you referenced earlier when we were talking with Glenn Kilmacud stuff. You know, the other rules maybe in, in Gaelic football at the moment that frustrate players. We have players on all, on the show all the time that you know have issues, whether it's the advance mark or other <laughs> issues as well. What what particular rules at the moment, Paul? Really get to you, or, or or do you look at and think, well, Jesus, that that could be done differently or better? There aren't look, there aren't a whole pile. There's there's, there's very little light change. I think the, the best rule that's been brought in over the last while was the the, the middle mark because it afforded uh, contests in the year and it awarded it awarded uh, the high the high mark, which um, Dave Moore having sat down this week and left the, the intercounty panel it was. Uh, was a showcase for for that that talent over the last uh, ten years, but um, uh, that was one of the better ones. And and then after that, I think there's a there's a little bit too much tinkering with with rules and and bringing in rules and then um, uh, rules gone. I remember a couple of years ago there was five brought in for a league uh, Allianz league run, and um, and then they were gone again. And you know it's 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 uh, the, the frustrating thing is the. The, like the hand pass a couple of years ago, it was very frustrating to try and play, and they, they were looking for a clear striking action of the ball, which which was already happening, um, whether it's, it was fast or slow, um, and it didn't it didn't improve the hand pass. That rule has gone again, so I'm not sure um, why these things come in. Obviously, 
they're a hot topic for a small while. But um, the only the only thing I would say that it's possible would be maybe the maybe look. There's there's a, there's a number of things in sports you could look at. Maybe the the um, the, the basketball backcourt rule is one that'll be easy enough to to ref. And you have to think about refs as well when you're thinking about bringing in rules and how easy they are to referee because. I mean that they're the they're the guys that have to keep all that in their head and and, and control the situations as well. So um, maybe back backcourt rule might lead to more of a turnover or more of a pressing game from from um, the the forty five to the sixty five to get rewarded for turnovers. Uh, if a team went behind the the midfield again, and it would um, it would maybe dismantle the the possession style game that we see a lot more coming into the game, um, which is probably more boring as a spectator, if I would say so personally. Um, so it will lead to teams when they get over the, the halfway line, maybe trying to trying to get a score quicker, um, or the opposition team trying to push them back to to get the turnover, um, and then that would open up a it would open up a defense. Obviously, if they didn't manage to turn over, there'd be there'd be holes from the forty five back. So um, that would be something maybe that I, I personally would like to see from coming in from using a basketball um, rule, um, then I would always, always have been in favour of the, either the two refs or, or either the two refs or the, the, the linesman having more uh, of a say in a game um, to help out a referee. They they have a little bit of control at the moment, but um, the, the man in the middle has all all the, the call at the moment. And I think... Uh, I think in the in the big games, it's no harm to have um, that little bit more help, and and that wouldn't be the worst. I don't think. But obviously, as you go down the the ranks and into clubs and into the, into the lower divisions of clubs, that's not going to happen because uh, the the the, the, law, the man in the middle is maybe bringing somebody for the line or the, the umpiring. So that's that's a difficult one to say. But um, other than that, I'm happy with the game. Like you know, the maybe the maybe the, the forward mark was unnecessary to bring in, but. Um, uh, I, you can't say that it's destroyed the game and you can't say that it has stopped goals from going in because I think last year's championship had the most amount of goals ever. So um, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm happy with all the other rules. Uh, Paul, I can pretty safely guarantee that this is the first time on the show we've had uh, Pagan Raves and Pokemon in the same conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing, by the way. Uh, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Best of luck with the recovery. Check it out on Twitter. It's uh, it's up there. Type it in, and you you get to see what the the morning man was and all that. It's well, we, we might we might come down to do the show live <laughs> uh, on the following morning. Road show, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cheers, guys. Thanks a million. Take care. What's uh, Paul Gainey there helping us um, remind everybody that the Allianz leagues are back this weekend? Mm. It's slightly overshadowed. Oh, I was going to say I'm going to Casablanca on Saturday night for Monaghan Armagh, and like I, I haven't got excited yet because I'm still thinking about the club final. I'm like. I keep forgetting that it's only two days away. Ordinarily, I'm, I'm at this stage now where I'm refreshing the Monaghan Twitter page to see if they and I have announced the starting fifteen or a squad, but not haven't haven't paid much thought to it. But uh, yeah, as of Saturday night, I'll be I'll be absolutely buzzing under the lights in Blaney. Twenty six minutes past eight uh, this morning. We're turning back to last night's football. I'm delighted to say Charlotte Dunker of the Times UK is with us. Charlotte, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. Good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah. Good. So um, the City Ground last night, uh, uh, Cup semi final. I think it's one of those. Um, Moments where everybody kind of wakes up to the quality of the atmosphere at the ground. Obviously, Man United are in town in the cup semi final, so it's going to be good. But apparently, it's like that all the time. Yeah, I've covered Forest a lot this season, and the atmosphere has been absolutely unbelievable. I think it always sounds a cliche, doesn't it, to say like they're the 12th man, but I've seen Liverpool go there and lose, and the fans really have made a difference for them this season. So, yeah, the atmosphere was great. It's Forest's first semi final there in 31 years so the fans were wanting to 
make it a night to remember, but Manchester United in the end were just too good for them. Yeah, I, I, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but um, it feels to me like the atmosphere is better this year. It's certainly, like I don't know if it's just post the World Cup, but like everybody's fully back understanding what it means to go to a football match. The atmosphere at the Emirates is better than it's ever been, obviously, because they're winning. But even the atmosphere uh, at Tottenham recently, like it has sounded like that stadium has fully understood that they have a role to play. Uh, am I am I reaching here? Have football fans uh, recovered from their post-COVID hangover? <laughs> Yeah, I think after COVID, you've obviously seen a big difference because fans were starved of being able to go to games for so long, so to be able to get back in. But the teams you've obviously mentioned there, Arsenal, the atmosphere at the Emirates historically hasn't been that great. That's I'm not unduly criticising them, but this season it's remarkable because of the run that they're going on. I think if you look at the city ground, the atmosphere is always fantastic there. I think we've seen Pep Guardiola criticise the atmosphere at the Etihad this season. So I'm not sure it's across the board that it's increased, but you've cherry picked a few where the fans of home fans have really got behind their team this season. The, some of the tunes we were speaking in our uh, pre-show meeting this morning, Charlotte, about the, the music that was in the, the city ground last night. You could hear it on the <laughs> on the TV. Roy Keane was even referencing, I think, uh, Faithless. Uh, Insomnia by Faithless and Welcome to the Jungle I think was another one the, the tunes were absolutely banging <laughs> yeah it's like like a disco night out but yeah they try and create a good atmosphere in terms of like they were all there with their scarves they make sure they pick the right music that sort of thing to intimidate them because it's such a close ground in terms of like the fans are right there on the pitch I think that's what Forest Hope will, will give them an advantage in the games uh, Marcus Rashford must have been listening to the tunes just before kick-off because uh, he didn't take long before uh, he went on that mazy run and scored the goal because uh, I've seen a couple of United fan groups on Twitter comparing the goal to something Pele would have done but uh, and not, not like fan groups on Twitter to get carried away but I mean it was a brilliant goal that kind of typified what Rashford's been about this season Yeah, he's in absolutely remarkable form that was his 10th goal in his 10th consecutive game and I think well Eric Ten Hag said in the press conference afterwards in the form that he's in at the moment he's absolutely unstoppable and he, he's right there he's playing with this sort of confidence that maybe we've not seen from him in the last couple of seasons so it's not that the quality's not been there from him in the past but he's got the confidence to pick up that ball go on that run take on two Forest players and then finish past Hennessy at his near post so he's definitely thriving at the minute but Steve Cooper was not happy with that Forest goal. When you look at goals like that, you always think, is that a really good attacking offensive goal? Or mm. is it really terrible defensively? Because if you look at the Forest team, they just seem to kind of be in awe of him a bit and they stood off. And yeah. that in the first half, the fans were get, getting agitated because every time Rashford got the ball down the left, there was no tackle going in from the from the Forest players. That They were standing off. They were giving him so much time on the ball. So I think a very good goal from Marcus Rashford, but defensively from Forest, they could definitely have done better. And I think, like, Rashford at the moment, and we saw the quotes from Ten Hag earlier this week where he's kind of hinting at Rashford and encouraging him to stay. And if United are to be successful, they need a Marcus Rashford in form still at the club. But the PSG links don't seem to be, to be going away. But is the feeling now at the club, Charlotte, that, that he's there to stay for the medium to long term? I think at the moment he is just focusing on his football because we've seen in the past maybe he's been a bit distracted by other things, not that the other things that he was doing weren't worthwhile, but all he's doing now is focusing on the football. So as I understand it, there's not detailed talks going on about his contract. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to stay and he isn't going to stay, but... Manchester United would obviously love him to be there. His contract expires, not this summer, the summer after. So hopefully it's something they can start 
they can sort in the closed season. It's not something that needs to be resolved right this second. So it's good that he can just focus on what he's doing and then turn his attentions to his future in the summer. You're right with the PSG links. They do admire him and maybe he could look at that and use that as a way to, to get himself a better deal at Manchester United. But he's come through the academy there and if you're Marcus Rashford and you see the work that Eric Ten Hag is doing and the improvements that he's made in such a small space of time and the fact that you've got a manager there saying he wants to build a team around you, then you'd look at that and think, well, this is my boyhood club. Have we got a chance of winning the Premier League in the next couple of years? Is the law of PSG really worth leaving? So it's one of them that he's going to have to weigh up. But at the moment, Manchester United looks like the best place for him. We mentioned Ved um, Veghorst at the top of the, the show this morning. We were kind of saying, look, it was a lovely finish for the goal. Roy Keane kind of talking at halftime, I think it was, where he was basically saying, you know, he, he mightn't score that many goals for United, but if he can score a number of important goals at important times this season, especially in cup runs, I mean, then it will, will have been worthwhile bringing him to the club. Yeah, and I think obviously there was a lot of criticism from different parts when they brought him in because... He didn't have the best record when he was in the Premier League with Burnley. They're obviously looking for an out-and-out number nine. This is a team that people are starting to talk about in the title race. Is he the calibre of player to really elevate them? But I think if you look at the work that he was doing last night, it was is more the stuff he was doing off the ball that I thought was better. So he's pulling defenders away from his teammates to give them more space in the box. He's some, he had some nice touches in the build-up play when they were attacking. He got his goal, which is obviously good for his confidence, but he's more than just about scoring the goals. I think Marcus Rashford is more of a threat in the box. Marcus Rashford at the moment is more of a goal threat, but he brings something to the team and distracts defenders. And Ten Hag spoke about... Rashford's goal that they scored against Arsenal and Beghorst's movement in that at the near post, which, which helped Rashford score, and also the same at Crystal Palace. So he's causing problems in the box without necessarily being the biggest goal threat at the moment. So then if he can develop that into scoring more goals, then it could turn out to be a savvy loan signing. Charlie, you talked about the title race there. Do, do Manchester United feel like, without saying it publicly, do they feel in, inside the club that they are in the title race at the moment? I don't think it's something that's been discussed. I think if you look at the the gap in the, in the table, we've obviously seen bigger points deficits overturned and teams go on to win the title. Um, but if you watch that game against Arsenal at the weekend, it was clear. I thought Manchester United played all right. They were they were in the game for the whole time. It was an, it was a good game to watch. But Arsenal are just that one step ahead. And also you've got Manchester City as well. Like they've not been playing well. No one should rule them out of the out of the title race either, and I just think they've got another gear to go through. Whereas I think the feeling at Manchester United is that they've still got to develop, they've still got to improve if they really, really want to compete at the top. What do you make, Charlotte, of the Harry Maguire situation? Um, we've seen him sitting on the bench in, in recent games for United, getting no game time whatsoever. I know he, he was suspended for last night's game. Um, his days, are they numbered at the club, given he's he's not getting on the pitch whatsoever at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a decision that's going to have to be made in the summer and Maguire is going to have to sit down with the club and work out what it is that he wants because it's quite clear that under Eric Ten Hag, he is not a first-choice centre-back. He's even a second-choice centre-back. I think he'd rather put Victor Lindelof in if it was Varane and Martinez. So he's got a decision to make. Obviously, he's still the club captain 
Eric Ten Hag made the decision not to change that, but that was quite savvy from him because he didn't need to change it, did he? Because he knew that really he wasn't he wasn't going to be starting that many games. So if Maguire wants to go out and play regular football, then as it stands at the moment, it doesn't look like that. that's what he's going to get at Manchester United because there are too many people ahead of him in, in Ten Hag's mind. So that I think that's going to be a decision for the summer. I, I can't see him leaving in the last week of the transfer window. I'd be pretty confident that he's going to stay at Manchester United definitely in this transfer window. But one, one to look at at the summer in terms of Maguire and where he sees his career going and what he wants his next move to be. And whether or not they'll be able to find a buyer to take the, the wages off <laughs> their books. It's mm. uh, it's complicated and, and maybe they just have to run that uh, contract out. I, I, the the Veghorst arrival obviously does not sate the perpetual desire from the fans for big name signings. And it seems as if they've done a reasonable job of managing expectations. Are there no signings because the executive at the club is completely distracted by the fact that they're trying to raise money or sell the club? I think if you look at about how much money they um, spent in the summer, they spent over two hundred million in the summer, which was probably a little bit more than they were expecting. So they heavily backed Eric Ten Hag this summer with the players that he wanted. Manchester United notoriously don't spend a lot of money in the January transfer window. Anyway, they don't they don't think it's the best market to to work in. We've always been told that if a long term target suddenly became available in January then they'd make a move for them, like we saw them do with Bruno Fernandes and the transformative effect that he had on the club. But there isn't reams and reams of cash for them to go out and get a big-name signing, like we're seeing at at Chelsea this month, obviously. (laughs) They're they're using loads of money to to bring in all sorts of different players. But I think they do want a number nine. Um, No disrespect to Veghorst, he's not not the number nine that they're after long-term. And if one of their targets had become available this month, then it would have been a discussion whether they go and spend some of the summer budget now, but that's not what's happened. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see anyone else come in. Um, They've obviously brought a goalkeeper in, in in Jack Butland, and then they've brought a temporary solution to to the striker problem in with, with Veghorst. So it'll be a case of continue them continuing to plan for the summer and, um, yeah, I don't just don't think there's been the budget there this month. One of the players that seems to be frustrating United fans at the moment, uh, Charlotte, is Anthony. And you even see Facundo Palistri come off the bench and, and even in his, what, five, ten minutes, he's, he still seems livelier and, and able to add more to the attack. And we all know Anthony is capable of a lot more than, than he's currently given at United. But there was a moment during the commentary last night where, where Gary Neville was, was saying, you know, he needs to maybe add a bit more of a, a Riyad Mahrez to his game cut in on both feet it's it's almost so obvious when, when Anthony gets the ball that he's going to cut in on the left foot maybe it, is his game a little bit predictable at the moment because clearly United fans are uh, are a little bit exasperated by Anthony at the moment Yeah and you just mentioned Palestri there and they're different players because Palestri right footed and hogs the wing and goes down and whips them balls in like a tr- what a traditional winger would do which we haven't seen that from Anthony at the minute but he came here with a big price tag which makes expectations very high and it takes time to adapt to the Premier League we've seen that with so many different players in the past and he's proven not to be an exception and I think to be honest I don't think he played badly last night it, Eric Ten Hagel also thought thought he played okay I don't, I don't think he obviously didn't set the world alight but it was that nice crisp pa- uh, passing in the build-up in the attacking play 
Um, and then, like you say, he just needs to add that final product to his game. He's de- definitely not performing in the way that probably he would like and reaching the heights that he would he would want to get to. But I can understand what people are saying, but I feel like it's going to be a narrative that's going to stick around for a while and until he really steps up. The focus on a trophy seems to be paramount for, for Eric Ten Hag, and it's something that he's referenced uh, constantly in recent interviews. 2017, the last time United lifted a trophy, this League Cup campaign is being taken very seriously, Charlotte. And look, they have Reading to come in the FA Cup fourth round this weekend, Barcelona in the Europa League, but getting their hands on silverware seems to be crucial for United at this uh, juncture. Yeah, it's a really long time since they last lifted a trophy. And I think even when you go back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he spoke about the importance of what silverware can do to a group in terms of boosting the morale and, and the belief around the team. So I think that would really help. But for me, I don't think they need to win a trophy this season to show that they've made progress under Terek, Eric Ten Hag. Sorry. He has brought something to the squad and he's improved them if you look at how they are in the league if you go back to the start of the season where they were everyone was writing them off for Champions League football and people were saying that it was going to take them years this rebuild was going to take years and look at them now people are talking about them in a title race so if it gets to the end of the season and they haven't won a trophy but they finish in the Champions League spots and I think there has already been good progress to show that they can push on next season All right, go on you no, just a final one, uh, Charlotte. You, you'd mentioned the, the goalkeeper situation and Jack Butland arriving at the club. Has there been any more talk on David De Gea, whether he wants to, I think there was some quotes a few weeks ago where he wants to end his career at Old Trafford. I know his, his contract situation, there's, there's a big money contract there he's currently on. Um, and, and, and even just thinking about it last night, because Dean Henderson was the clear absentee for, for Forrest, probably their best player, and he's on loan from United. Is there any word on the current goalkeeping situation at United and whether De Gea is there for the, for the long term again? I think he will end up signing a new contract in the end and then it's up to Ten Hag whether he sees him as his number one going forward or there's a different profile of player that he wants to come in. Obviously, Dean Henderson's loan will end at the end of the season and then they, they, they've got to make a decision on him as well. All right, we'll leave it there. Charlotte, thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thank you, bye. It's uh, Charlotte Dunker there from The Times. It is 8.41. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can uh, text us on 0879-180-180 or, of course, you can get us on Twitter at OffTheBallAM. And we're live each morning uh, with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Jaron Shane, how is the form? Yeah, pretty good. Good stuff. We have the, see, the other way, we have the virtual insanity sting with John's face up in the, the clouds and the music. We should have a, a regular sting just for... Just for John's everyday appearances. Yeah, I just a, for a, well, I got to carefully thinking now of this thing because what that, would it be? Yeah, it, I don't know. if It's going to be like Hannon's world, um, but I'll have to think of something. Well, we were talking about Faithless, uh, and something about <laughs> Faithless was was blaring from the city ground last uh, week. It's a Don Juggin, right? Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> something Don Juggin esque. Mike Anderson? No, more Don Juggin. I think Don Juggin. Okay, more more bit risky and edgy. Right. Uh, so I'll have to I'll, I'll think about you know maybe the Ace of Spades or something like that. Um, mm. So we, we would like to reward regular viewers with uh, you know the callbacks to stuff. But I was actually out the day that you explained Don Juggan. Oh, were you? Yeah. Okay. So I <laughs> I don't think I explained. I just think I kind of touched upon it. Maybe I'll think about it and explain it. Well, yeah, I don't really need to do it now. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, the seed is planted. The seed is planted. Yeah. I'll, I'll, the, well, you should ask the viewers. What do you want? Do you want? Do you want to know the story? I mean, because I, I yeah. Doesn't. Well, here's one Don. I'll give you one Don Juggan story. I went to Amsterdam for my twenty first birthday, and I can't swim, and I still can't swim. 
I couldn't swim back then either. So uh, <laughs> we we went out on the, the night before my birthday and um, I kept on saying to the bar girl, I wanted I want a 21 year old whiskey, I want 21 year old whiskey, I want 21 year old whiskey, I want 21 year old whiskey. And, she, and we play the police, play the police, play the police. Keep on, you know, just make sure you do it. And by the time uh, she's actually, we're, we're, we've stopped serving now. So there was that. And, and I think I got a 19 year old whiskey, it was as far as I got. Um, and the next morning, we were meant to go down to the Heineken Brewery. We were so hungover, we, it actually felt like a bad idea. So we decided not to do that. We decided to get a pedalo boat. So we got on a pedalo boat with a roof, myself and two friends. And uh, we were pedaling around for about a half an hour. And I wouldn't pedal because it was my birthday. I decided I'm not going to pedal. I'm going to sit in the back. <laughs> not today. Not today. So they got to do the work. So we went around the, the houses a bit, you know, and, um, and, uh, with the pedalo with a roof. And they uh, got off the pedalo. And I was the last to get off. And the moment I put my foot at the bank, the pedalo drifted behind me. And I was in a big leather jacket. And I went straight in to the water. And the moment I hit the water, I thought to myself, I can't believe I'm in the effing canal. And I got up out of the, out of the water. I goes, I can't swim, I can't swim. And I went back down again. And then um, they pulled me out. So it was a mixture of utter fear and uh, utter hysteria at the same time. We'd taken a, we were really running out of money. So we had a 50 guilder deposit with the Pedalo people. Um, we, we we ran to get the deposit before they'd seen the damage, and we did the legger then. <laughs> uh, and then I was, um, we went back to the, uh, it was the Varmostrad in Amsterdam, which was probably the seediest street at the time. In the middle. All we could smell is weed. And uh, we were in the same of the Hotel Kabul. I don't know if it still exists, but I remember the reviews that they, they, they didn't get the most favorable reviews. It said that even Osama bin Laden would have stayed in the Hotel Kabul. <laughs> um, it was just like with the communal kind of um, corridor and everything. So I got back. We were all kind of telling the, the lady who's with us uh, about the story that I found the canal. And she was so mellow, put it that way, that she was well, whatever. Uh, and then uh, um, I was a bit sick for about a week because I don't know what I picked up there. But uh, that was uh, that was a Don Jogan story. <laughs> there you go. So that, that's what that, that's one moment. So you, you, go. you wouldn't pedal because it was your birthday. I fell into canal on my twenty uh, first birthday in Amsterdam, and that is a true story. You wanted your mates to pedal for you, John. Is that it? Yeah, I didn't want to do because I wanted Just to. You can lie back and indulge. Yeah, it's your birthday week, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's enough. the thing now, isn't it? Birthday weeks and birthday months. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, right. So, uh, I don't know what you want to talk about. Maybe the Rory uh, Reed well, Reef or something? Yeah, we were chatting about this briefly yeah. yesterday. Um, Nathan was unsure at the start, but then afterwards it was all confirmed by the, the main protagonist that, yes, everything that we thought happened, happened. And at the end of it, Patrick Reed is trying to steal the moral high ground by going, well, if you're going to behave like a baby. Yeah, like, hilarious. So have you seen the clip? No. Right, so I, I can show you this. I can't show it on air, but but it's only a, a ten seconds. Oh, somebody clip. has video of the of the, of the actual incident. So yeah. you'll see Reed here, uh, and I'm sorry for the folks at home, but Kyle Porter will get it. You'll get it on Twitter. Reed walks over, shakes hands to someone, and then he goes to shake Rory's hand. Harry Diamond. Yeah, and then Rory ignores him. Reed laughs, throws it, lobs a tea in his direction, and it's a bit awkward. Rory sits there in his hunches. It's very movie soundtrack, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and the Reed way he just kind of there's not much in it, but Rory clearly just point blank ignores him. He for some reason takes a tea out of his pocket, Reed and. Lobs it towards Rory because oh, it's a live tea. Yeah, well, there it's you a go. Live tea. Yeah, it was a live aces, team aces. Like that was a, that, that was just really that was Patrick. Right, the second one was aces. I just saw the live thing. I was yeah, like, I don't know. I the, the, so he said that in his thing. He said, yeah. "Well, well, I, I just threw the live tea, the, the live aces teas at him." The aces thing has yeah. not registered in my brain. At yeah, all. they all play for teams. Yeah, they I do. Keep yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, go team aces. Yeah. Um, at, at Kyle Porter, CBS has that video clip. By the way, if anyone wants to see it, the very funny thing is because they do transcripts for all of the press conferences, all the tours. And uh, I'll just read this out. 
question. Sorry to take this with Patrick on the range yesterday a bit further. But Patrick Reed said to you, he shook hands with Harry, wishing him a happy new year, put his hand out to you to wish you a happy new year in a goal, but short of approach to try and mend bridges. There was no tea throwing. He just turned his back, had a tea from his pocket and threw it down, disgust, as probably anybody would do when you approach someone and don't get an answer. Can you see yourself maybe one day mending these bridges with Patrick? Not at the moment, but he said he was trying to make an effort. And Rory was just utterly like flabbergasted and doing all these facial expressions for about a minute. And the, and the response is on the thing, Rory McElroy in brackets, incredulous facial expression, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> so, he was subpoenaed, wasn't he? Oh, on Christmas Eve, yeah. So, I mean, you're not really going to shake hands with someone. This is pretty handbaggy stuff. I was thinking of really good golf beefs. I think Harrington and Garcia was a really beefy golf beef which went back to the Seve Trophy in 2003 when Alathabal got offended because he felt that Harrington was questioning his integrity about replacing uh, spike marks or pitch marks or something. And they didn't speak for the rest of the the, the, the match. And then I remember uh, Garcia went, well done, Podrick. And then four years later, they're meeting at the Carnoustie Open, which Harrington won in the playoff. And then a year later, they meet, which is a, it's on YouTube. There's a brilliant video of the final round of Harrington and Garcia and just the utter glazed, um, wild-eyed stare of Harrington as he faced Dan Garcia, who's just sulking around the whole place. You've had Eisinger by stairs, the Ryder Cup. Um, a really hop, funny hop one. Balls. Mm. That was the That's it, yeah, and coughing, alleged coughing uh, in an opportune time. Back swing. Uh, this is really funny in the Times today. Ian Poulter versus Tiger was It was 2008 when Poulter gave the interview that would follow him for years. I haven't played to my full potential yet, he said. And when that happens, it'll be just me and Tiger. Uh, the statement ruffles some feathers at the Dubai Desert Classic where both men were due to play that week with talk of the field quitting the range to lead him to it. Hank Haney, Woods' former coach later, added more fuel to the fire when he said Woods had dubbed Poulter a dick who mooched her out of my plane. <laughs> Are golf beefs so interesting to us because golfers have the biggest egos of any sports people Golfers on the are, having done um, golf tournaments, and I love the sport, I love the drama of the sport, but the people in it, they live in such a bubble. There's no, yeah. e- there's no other sport that has uh, they don't play in people teams, with bigger egos. They don't play in teams. Uh, you can't say that, Jane. Oh, golfers have the biggest egos of any uh, sports people. The footballers, I mean. I don't know. It's an individual sport as well. No. Yeah, well, certain certain sports, certain footballers loads have big of, egos, loads but of, all golfers have big egos. But loads of kids, loads of 17-year-old footballers who make it to the first-team squad all of a sudden have giant egos because, like... John Ferraris. Well, massive confidence and big egos are sometimes uh, conflated and in, in the grey area in between, but I feel like every single golfer is egotistical. Well, uh, well uh, you have to think that Larry and McElroy are quite grounded. Oh yeah, completely. But you, you have to have a certain, and I'm not saying sorry, ego is a bad thing necessarily. You can utilise your ego to, 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 to bring about success. Everybody needs an ego in life to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but golf, see, the, the thing about golf is it's a hypocrisy of golf because it's all so gentlemanly and it's everything about the, you know, the decorum and the, the, you know, the, the, the pleat plants and everything and the, the rules and all that kind of thing and being so nice and all that kind of thing. And then they act like kids. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing is they lose every week. Like, only one out of the 200 people who yeah. start ends up as the, as the winner. So, like, they have to... It's a bit like the the jockeys, you know? They all, Well, obviously, you win more as a jockey than you do as a golfer um, if you're at the very elite level. But almost nobody wins races ever, you know? Like, the vast majority of them lose. So, I, I think there's a protective shield yeah. where they're like, I'm great and all I need is my... All I need is the, the luck the point, to drop yeah, or the point. Yeah. someone to, like, calm my nerves for whatever reason. Um, like Skip Candle never won on the PJ Tour there's but no, I like the beefs because there's yeah. there's so many dickheads basically <laughs> I think that's it like 
you know, well, everybody you would have expected to go to live did go to live. Exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden gone. I mean, like there was another one, really funny one. Somebody asked. Um, I do you miss ha- hate watching some of these tournaments, though? Could mm. you could you see uh, your relationship with Sergio? Maybe and then Macquarie just goes, no, no. <laughs> Watch it on the on the on the YouTube. Golf press conferences are brilliant. Well, uh, Rory's are anyway. Yeah, there's regular juice on. The most honest man in, in global sport, Rory. It's and brilliant. he's, he's never shirks it. Brought everybody else along with him because it's kind of once you that once that bar is set. Imagine GA players doing that. Yeah. Well, we were talking uh, in the production meeting about GA Drive to Survive being an option. I think, was it Declan? Declan Lee. Lee had it yeah. in the the Irish Independent today as an option. You know, would it drum up interest in, in GA having a Drive to Survive type fly on the wall? Even around the Allianz Leagues or something, maybe? Be a lot of lads sitting there saying nothing, though, wouldn't it? That's the problem. How <laughs> much are you getting paid for this? Whatever you say, say nothing. Yeah, that's the, that's the issue. They're, they're, they're almost... They're not media trained. They're either media trained to the hilt or they're not media trained at all. GA players. Which, you know, leaves a vast swathe in between. You know, if they're, too, oppor- media, if they're too media trained, they say, they say nothing anyway. But there is a big opportunity, I think, for loads of teams to get their message out and to get their supporters on side and so that when, inevitably, again, because only one team wins that at the end of the year the, the supporters are more on side with that team because they've had conversations about them and with them and they, they've got to know them it's much easier for supporters to abuse team selectors managers players if they don't know them that well whereas actually if you're out constantly talking and, and doing stuff then I think you win people over that's my view as like um you know, if yeah. I was running the media strategy for a team, it would be we're going to be you, know, you get your best speakers out, obviously, and the ones who are uncomfortable, you don't force them to do it. But you give them, you afford them the opportunity to become known by the supporters in particular, and you you do everything you can to elevate that, and you do content from training on your social channels, and it's just buy-in. Then it's like so you know more about the team, you know what they're trying to achieve, and you know, okay, so we're in a six-month process here, we're working really hard in our defensive setup. Uh, later in the year, we would expect the forwards to begin to click, mm. but several of them are injured at the moment, and we haven't got the time and training that we need. But we're getting there, and that's a that's the process that we're on. You know, like loads of professional teams fail in this as well. Well, there's a reason why the year till Sunday is so brilliant because it's flying the wall of an All Ireland winning year. Like, thankfully, Pat Comer had the the foresight to thankfully they won. Well, thankfully they won as well, just to make it interesting. But even Kevin McStay came on board this year in May. I mean, it would have been great content even if they'd lost. Yeah, yeah, either Especially way. Especially if they'd lost that final. Yeah, 100%. That would have been brilliant. I would love to have seen that. Of course he would have. <laughs> well, yeah, for you, of it's course, as a Kildare fan. But like Kevin McStay's come on board in May this year and he said, yeah, we're going to be more open with the media. Like James Horn was a bit more guarded and that's his prerogative but yeah I love to see when the second time around I think the first time around they were yeah, they maybe, were very, yeah. Man, the players were pretty open as well you know like because um, they, they were all brilliant talkers and brilliant communicators and they all had lots to say so John anything else uh, not really um, the Thiestas chase always worth a look at the race that stops the county in Kilkenny today 10 to 3 um, 18 runners maybe if you want to have a look at one Darren's hope at 12 to 1 might be worth a euro each way I can't get John lying back on the pedal out of my head sorry Neither can I. Or many, fall into the many the years of uh, PTSD around it. <laughs> was it deep? Uh, well, for those moments, it was. It's just my leather jacket was weighing me down. That <laughs> <laughs> adds to it. And Sunglasses also, too, hopefully. Yeah, and also, it's, it's kind of a weird story. Um, I've been given a watch my twenty first by my sisters, and the first thing I was checking was my watch. Is my watch still okay? And then my watch was stolen then fifteen years ago. I uh, know. Fifteen years later. So Thanks. there you go. Right. All right, lads. More from Don Duggan next week. <laughs> from John Duggan, you can get him on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. It is 8.55 this morning here on OTBAM. 
And I'm delighted to say uh, Grania Walsh, Irish boxer and Tullamore's finest, is on the line, fresh off her victory over Amy Broadhurst at the National Elite Boxing Championships. Grania, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Uh, yeah, still trying to come down from the high, even though it's, what, five days later. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying my week, uh, kind of basking in the glory of, of last week's win. But um, yeah, looking forward to what's to come as well. I'm not going to get too complacent. It's seven days of rest and then we're back to the grind again. <laughs> so um, talk to us a little bit about it, right? What is the immediate aftermath like of um, of beating somebody like Amy Broadhurst, who's a you know very nationally significant figure in Irish boxing? Um, well, yeah, it, it, I don't know. Twitter kind of blew it up as this massive shock. I don't know. I think I was the only one that wasn't shocked, to be honest. Like, I know my reaction uh, when I heard 3-2 uh, on the night, I was kind of, I, I was confident that I'd won. But when I heard 3-2 and given Amy's name and everything she's won in the last 12 months and with my injury history over the last three years, I was nearly doubting myself. But um yeah, unbelievable. Like to to beat the likes of Amy, who's been in unbelievable form, um, and like I said, with my injury history, I don't think many people were giving me a a shout at the at the fight. But um, myself, my family, and my coach believed in me, and I knew I could get over the line if I stuck to the game plan. And I felt like I did that. What does it change for you in terms of what it opens up in possibilities wise over the next while? Yeah, well, these elite championships had a lot at stake in terms of like making statements. Um, especially for myself, because had I lost, I don't know what way it would have been back because of the fact that I haven't fought in so long. But um, it doesn't guarantee anything either. It puts me in as the front runner to go to the qualifiers. But like I said, there's no there's no kind of time to rest or or to dwell on this. It's you're only as good as your last performance. So I need to keep performing consistently and still in the gym as well. We're back to the high performance next week and. Uh, There'll be plenty of assessments and loads of sparring to be done to get selected. So I'll be kind of just keeping one foot in front of the other and hoping that I'm I'm on that plane to the European Games this summer. The photographs, Grania, of that split second when your when your hand is lofted into the air last weekend are are quite incredible because you can see the the pure unfiltered joy on your face and then Amy Amy's in tears and she she leaves the arena then in tears. Like most boxers have experienced both sides of, of that spectrum and both mm-hmm. of those emotions. I mean, I guess it puts it in perspective for you because because you've been on both sides of that, you probably experience and appreciate the highs even more. Oh, one hundred percent! Like the the win at the weekend, like was the best feeling. Like I was asking, like God, an Olympic medal must feel something like that. Like that's how significant the win was for me because of how much I've been through. Like in terms of being told that I'm, I have really no hope if anything else happens to my hand because I've had five injuries on the same thumb so um yeah like that's why it just made it all the sweeter for me but like you said every most boxers have been on both sides of three two decisions of tight fights like that and I think the the win was so significant for me but because of Amy's form the loss for her as well like it, it is terrible that there has to be a loser but that's just those pictures sum up the kind of highs and lows um, of a split second of an individual sport you know if you're in a team sport you, you share the loss or the win with 10 or whatever 14 other people but um, in boxing and in a lot of individual sports it's completely you for the highs and the lows I was just lucky that I had so many people there support me on the night as well so to share that moment with them and there was tears from them I couldn't believe how much it meant to them as well so uh, yeah a night I definitely won't be forgetting for a very long time have you ever had moments of, of self-doubt? You mentioned the thumb. Like To have a recurring thumb injury as a, as a boxer must be so, so frustrating. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, the, the mental side of it is more frustrating than the physical because, like, you know, I think kind of pain goes hand in hand with being in a contact sport. But um, the physical side of it, like, especially 2020, like, I've been injured since January 2020. But the diff- most difficult year was 2022, even though I did manage to get away to um, a tournament last year. I had two fights over in Romania and won both fights, but I injured my hand in the semi final, which meant I had to pull out with the final. But I got injured four weeks before the Worlds, so I had to just like watch the whole team head away to the Worlds and, you know, win big money and and just climb the ladder when I was just sitting at home. And likewise, again, for the for the Europeans there in October, I broke my hand in the first round of uh, my third assessment and that put me out of the running. So those kind of things and, and a big, a massive part of all that to cope with it for me was coming off social media because I know social media has such an influence today. Um, but like, you know, it's great when things are going good for you. But like, if you're any way vulnerable or, or you know, feeling a bit down and there's things aren't going your way, it's a really hard place to be. So removing myself from that kind of atmosphere and, and just removing my exposure to it, I suppose, was a massive coping mechanism for myself. How did you come to the decision to do that? I think from trial and error of like, you know, five injuries and... Uh, I don't know, just seeing, especially when I missed out on the Tokyo Olympics. Now, I do, looking back, hindsight is a great thing. Looking back, I don't think I was ever, I I don't think I really deserved to qualify for Tokyo. I hadn't gone through enough or understood the significance of qualifying for an Olympics. Like, we were all on the same path, but, like, when I didn't qualify or when I didn't get the chance to go to the qualifiers, I thought it was the world ending. But looking back, I definitely think everything is, you know, in its time, and I don't think that was the right time for me, but going there when they were all at the Olympics and uh, I definitely had to come off social media because you know when you achieve some people's like childhood dreams of qualifying for the Olympics and seeing everything that goes with that all over social media it was really tough so I just had to had to come off it was a decision I made myself and I've done it now for every injury I've had and if I'm having a bad day even I'll sign off and just limit my exposure and it's been a huge help for me Right so you, you've got the willpower to be able to control when you're on and off because like I'd say a lot of people watching will be like uh, I'd love to do that but mm. it's, just, uh, uh, it's difficult It is it definitely is but like it depends on what you're, you choose your difficult like it was more difficult for me to be looking at all the things I was missing out on than not seeing any of it. Like I went away, I remember um, for the Worlds last year, I had, you know, kind of I planned in my head that I was getting picked and whatever. Like obviously I didn't take anything for granted. I was <clears throat> I was training away as hard as I could, but I saw myself there. And then obviously when I got injured, I booked a holiday and went away. And I just, I told everyone who was on the holiday with me, like you'll be seeing a lot about the Worlds and everything. So I just don't want to know anything about it I even think actually off the ball had contacted me at the time to do an interview and I just replied saying I'm just not in a good enough headspace to to comment on everything and I don't know did that seem like a selfish thing but individual sport is is selfish and you have to make decisions that are for your best interest especially when you're missing out on things because of injury and things like that you have to look after your own mental health first and I just would recommend anybody who's struggling with anything because you know social media yourself it's a world of comparisons and um, a good friend of mine once taught me comparison is the thief of joy and uh, definitely for me I just think when things aren't going great or you're a little bit vulnerable removing yourself from that world of comparing yourself to everyone else's life is a massive thing to to bring forward I think it sounds wise as opposed to selfish to mm. be honest 
Well, thank you. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think I was one of the people, Gronya, that you're referencing that was in touch with you. I think I, I was just checking there. Like I was in touch with you back in August of 2021. I remember actually thinking at the time, this this is wise beyond your years in, in in many ways because often sports people are thrust into interviews or social media, and and there's this aspect of life that people don't actually consider for for professional sports people. So for for a, a, a young sports person to to do that and to acknowledge the the things that are maybe not helping. And, and removing them from their lives is actually a really, yeah. really uh, mature thing. Yeah, well, if, if that if that message in itself could reach one person and they might not take the same advice, but consider, like, if you're really aware of what's upsetting you or what's making things harder for you, and then in turn you put in place a plan to, to remove that, you know, it, it just, for me, it really did help. Now, it mightn't help a lot of people, but, like, you know, even yourself with, like, the amount of time that young people spend on their phone. Like, for example, coming up to the elites, I signed off social media for three weeks in the lead up and uh, I read a book, a full book. And I'm not a reader. I know that's not a big thing to a lot of people, but I had so much extra time instead of just picking up my phone and wasting 10, 20 minutes scrolling. I was just picking up my book or something like that. And for me to read a book like is a, is a, a big deal, especially in three weeks. Now, my sister could read three in one day, but... Um, that's an, just another thing that you kind of learn on the job as well and um, yeah I feel like I've matured that's what I mean about I don't think I deserve to qualify for Tokyo at that time because I didn't understand I hadn't gone through enough but I think I've been through the mill and back in the last three years and uh, I feel like I really understand and I've been um, humbled a lot of times so uh, yeah I definitely think that I'm going in the right direction So you are ready for Paris is what, is what we're hearing Yes very much so yeah very much so um, yeah I think Saturday kind of put I don't know like I'm always I always have a lot of self-belief but I think with everything that happened Saturday and in the way it happened and like having a career best performance under the circumstances um, a lot of people thought because of the inexperience and the lack of ring time I've had in the last three years might come into play on such a big night with so much at stake but I am um, I just, I just believed in myself. And like I said, my family and my team and my coach, Dima, have really believed in me. And I just think the Paris dream is is more alive now than ever. I've started 2023 in the best way possible and um, leaving the injuries in the past. Because uh, actually, I, I should touch on it. Um, I never told anyone in the lead up to the elites, but four weeks before the competition started, I broke my baby toe. Um, I dropped a 10 kilo dumbbell on it. So you actually couldn't write the stuff that has happened to me, but it's made me 10 times more resilient. And uh, yeah, thank God everything just worked out. So, because uh, famously David Hay broke his toe and had the head beaten off him afterwards and blamed his, his toe. It's obviously important for boxers. It is important for boxers. And um, I didn't even think this was possible, but like I was literally out in the shed. I have a little gym out in the shed out the back here and uh, I had a bit of a sore back. So I was just doing upper body and I was leaving stupidly. I was leaving the weights up on a shelf so not to bend down. And then at the last set, of course, my luck, the thing rolled off and hit my toe. But I went to, I went to A&E the next day and it was dislocated and broken. So they tried to pull it back into place. Um, no joy. So they actually said, we're going to bring you in on Sunday for surgery. I did not think that was possible, but they put a screw into the top of my toe, which I still actually have in my toe now. Um, and I have to get that removed in about eight weeks. But uh, it got me through the camp, thank God. And uh, fair play to the surgeon and everyone in Tullamore Hospital. They were amazing to me and uh, really put me at ease when I thought. I was just thinking if I had to pull out of the elites because of a toe injury and not my hand, 
I would have never been able to live with that. So, uh, yeah, I was firing and all in the lead up to the to the elites with runners on. What my right shoe had sewage pipe taped around the toe so that if someone stood on it, that it wouldn't it would take some of the impact. But worked out and uh, everything went well, and uh, I got to where I wanted to be, and the toe is fine now. So all can't right. complain. You'll be you'll be beeping in the air through the airport anyway with a metal toe heading to Paris. <laughs> That's the thing. I have, a, I have a metal screw in the toe as well. So Jesus, I'm like the bionic woman here. <laughs> well, like it's almost. Like between the, the the recurrent thumb injury and the toe and the disappointment of Tokyo, it's almost like I don't and I don't, don't want to overstate it, but it is a fairy tale story in some ways to, to to bounce back from all of that and then have the win at the weekend and then look forward to Paris. Yeah, it definitely is in my own head anyway. And everyone is saying to me like, "Oh, how did you get through it all?" And like the sacrifice and the resilience you showed and all. Like, yeah, times were tough, but like I promised myself at the start, like I wasn't going to stop until unless a, a surgeon or someone told me um, that I had no future. But I remember it was really traumatizing. After the fourth operation on my thumb, um, the surgeon said to me, like, Grania, look, there's nothing more we can do for you. Now, he was an amazing surgeon up in Belfast. Um, I would not have got through the whole thing without him. Um, but he was like, look, there's not really a whole lot else we can do. Like, we've done everything we possibly can. So, you know, if, if it does keep happening, you're going to have to have a real think about your future. So that was the fourth injury. And then in the lead up to the Europeans there in October, when I broke my hand in the first round, I threw a right hook. And I was like, oh, my God, I kept going. But I, I knew I was in trouble. But it was a different pain to before because four other operations, I had never actually broke my hand. Um, and then after I, I went, I had to drive up to Belfast to get an extra straight away. But the only two things in my head was I'm either going to be fine and get going to the Europeans or I'm going to be retiring and going to college. They were my two. I didn't see any other options. So it was the longest drive ever to Belfast, just the worry and everything. And then when I got there, he got, took the x-ray and I was just inconsolably crying. And he was like, um, he said that you've literally broken the only part of your thumb that's not metal. And he's like, I know it sounds like the end of the world, but it's not the end of the road. And that kind of stuck with me. I was, I was obviously devastated because I couldn't go to the Europeans, but at least it wasn't like he was like, I was expecting to have an hour conversation with you here. And I was to tell you that, you know, you can't fight anymore and that you're going to have to consider some other avenue because if you have problems with your hands as a boxer, you're found out very quickly. So um, I, I was, I felt like I kind of had a lucky, you know, a ninth life or whatever, or the golden ticket to have one more opportunity. So I'm still on that kind of wave now. I'm on that last opportunity, but I feel like I've left all the injuries in the past and, and the hand is feeling great on the toe as well. Uh, so, Gronje, the process of actually qualifying for the Olympics, what's that journey like between here and there? Um, so, the first step on the ladder, I suppose, was Saturday night, was uh, making a statement and getting myself back to the number one spot at 66. Um the weight categories just suits me down to the ground as well. I spent the last four years boxing at 69, caught in limbo. But now Amy's kind of in limbo too. Like It's unfortunate because she's won everything at 63, but she used to box at 60 and then she didn't know whether to move up or down. So it's a tough position to be in. <clears throat> um, and like, you know, best luck to Amy and everything. I'm sure we'll have many, many aspire and many contests in the future again. But um, yeah, as I said, we're back to high performance training next week and we'll kind of, find out the process for the next few weeks when there'll be assessments what competitions are coming up and ultimately the the high performance team the coaches will make a decision on who's who's the best at the way and who they want to send to the qualifiers in june and um, so obviously i'm on a great 
great run of form at the moment. So I'm hoping to continue that and uh, stay injury free and just keep my feet on the ground. And, uh, you know, if, if I need to come off social media now and again, I definitely will be doing that. <laughs> Jeez, uh, listen to your story, Gronje. It's, it's no surprise that boxers have to do things like reading the book and, and taking the mind off it. I know you had been studying um, Italian and German in, in, in Galway for a couple of years and deferred that. Yeah. And Do you still, I know you're fairly proficient in speaking Italian, do you still keep at that? Is that another distraction that, that keeps you focused on something outside the ring? I'm not going to lie, I should be. <laughs> and it's always, especially in the last three years when I've been injured, I've enrolled for more courses and like colleges I've gotten in touch with and all because I was like, I never really understood the significance of having a plan B until I was faced with the likes of, you know, you're one punch away, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't know, it's so hard when you're training full time. I know, and I know like people, there is so like, you know, we have only two sessions a day and there is so much other time, but it is really difficult to focus your energy on, on other things and meeting deadlines and all that sort of stuff. So at the moment, I'm kind of still in the process of trying to figure out what my actual passion is. Like I've um, been working very closely with a, a life skills coach and um, trying to figure out, you know, what I actually see myself doing after boxing because I kind of did see myself doing, you know, primary teaching or one of those secondary teaching with the languages. But I think with the uh, with the the wealth of knowledge I've gained through my own hardship over the last few years through the ups and downs I think like I'd love to go on to help other people and maybe not just athletes but like help other people to overcome obstacles and I don't I haven't really thought too much about it but I'm still trying to figure out you know where I actually see myself after boxing but I'm kind of working that out as I go I've learned so much in the last three years that I couldn't learn in 10 lifetimes so I'd love to be able to use that to help other people as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, and also, you're a brilliant communicator, so whatever you end up doing is going to be very interesting. Comments coming in. Dennis Ryan says, Offaly must be a county of poets. First Michael Verney and now Gronje Walsh. Most impressive. OTB continues with a long line of fantastic contributors and great guests. Lovely to hear stories. So the love is pouring in for you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thanks so much for all the support. Like, it's been unreal since Saturday. I'm just thinking, like, for the last three years, my phone has been virtually silent. And now, like, after the win on Saturday, I'm just not used to, you know, the amount of people wishing me well. And not like, you know, when you're injured and stuff, they're really the close ones to you, see the hardship and, and are really there for you. But um, it's great to see so much support from not just Offaly. Like, amazing to come from a, from a community like Tullamore and from a county like Offaly. But from all over the country, it's been unreal. So, uh, yeah, hope to continue this run and make everyone proud. Yeah, 100%. Gronje, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers and congratulations. Thanks very much, lads. Appreciate it. Cheers, Thank you. It's uh, our newest boxing superstar, it turns out. Uh, 13 minutes past nine. It's Gronje Walsh. Uh, if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879 is the WhatsApp number. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Cora Staunton. Leader's questions are Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is Sport and Irish Identity. And then OTB Gold is Brian O'Driscoll meeting Ethan Asewa at six. And then the show is live tonight with Nathan, John Giles and plenty more besides. In the ad break, you're going to hear a clip from the uh, latest episode of the Koi Gig podcast. Kathleen McNamee asked Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne which managers they would realistically like to see come into Irish football. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Up next, we're talking tech with Jess. OTB AM. 16 minutes past nine. Uh, Jess Kelly is with us. Jess, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. So uh, Cameron's also with us. Hello. Good morning. Um, I might start with Cameron here. You set up the piece that we did with Michael Darren McCauley mm. and Amy McGee. Um, how old are you? Uh, <laughs> uh, young. 
So your target market, yes, yeah, you're I'm buying in smack in the in the demographic that um, Andrew Tate uh, and other people like Jordan Peterson are after. Mm. They're they're the ones trying to sell you stuff. Yeah, yeah. Basically, right. they're trying to sell me their vision of what I should be. That I'm not really, I'm not up to snuff in terms of being a manly man. Um, my condolences. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure you'll. I'm not you know, sure you'll ever recover. No, and you know, yeah, it's a it's a tough road, but I, I think I've made my peace with it. Um, but yeah, we set up the piece because um, I suppose Andrew Tate is very much in the news right now with uh, the stuff going on in Romania. Why it is that he appeals so much to young lads, really. Um, what kind of brand of masculinity they're putting forward. Uh, why it resonates, what's going on in young people's lives, and especially young males' lives. That means that Tate becomes this kind of prophet. Okay. Uh, and obviously this is all happening exclusively on social media. Mm. Yeah, there are some uh, live in-person events, and obviously uh, it's getting amplified by WhatsApp and Telegram and the other various messaging platforms that you may or may not um, have on your phone. So, Jess, mm. how does this work? Well, like it's interesting that you, you kind of say that Andrew Tate's in the news at the moment. A lot of the damage that's been done, and a lot of this pushing out of messages has been going on since before TikTok was popular in this country. He has had a huge audience for such a long time and he's had it on multiple platforms. And the key thing that's been consistent throughout all of them is his message. And what's happened is he has longer form pieces and then they get chopped up, as often happens with a lot of content, and the hot takes get pushed out on social platforms. He uses money to sponsor them, to push them out, to ensure they're getting before the eyeballs of his target demographic. And that's one of the brilliant things with social media platforms is when you're advertising, you know, when you go through the steps to put up an ad, it'll ask, who do you want to target? So you could target 18 to 24-year-olds living in Offaly, you know, it doesn't have to be in the, on the island of Ireland. You can pinpoint who you're looking to talk to. So if you're doing that on a global scale, looking to target a particularly young, particularly male audience, you can do that. The message gets out and it then becomes like a catchphrase. It's kind of like, and it's not the same at all, but like when I was younger, everybody would go around saying, saying like family guy quotes at each other. It's, it's, it's whatever your uh, sort of friends and your age group are into, that becomes the sort of common parlance and that's what everybody says. And what we're seeing now is the news has caught up uh, and, you know, there, there are charges um, against Andrew Tate. But this has been going on for such a long time. And what's really interesting, and I spent a good bit of time over the last few days reading through the terms and conditions of all the different social media platforms, they will all say that they have pretty much a zero tolerance policy when it comes to misogyny or hateful, hurtful content. Uh, but not only has had he been allowed to do this for such a long time, you now have fans reposting the content. And as of this morning, at half seven this morning, I went on TikTok and I looked and hashtags relating to Andrew Tate had millions and millions of searches. So hashtag Andrew Tate Band had 10.6 million searches and Tate Andrew had 35.1 million searches. There are also different variations of that. Then there are videos that aren't getting hashtagged at all. But the content is still there despite TikTok having banned him from the platform. Okay, so uh, they, they're they essentially saying we're a little bit powerless. They're, they're kind of, uh, you know, 
No, so what they're saying, and I can tell you exactly what they're saying because I've been onto them, right? So I was onto TikTok, and what they said is that their community guidelines specifically highlight misogyny as a hateful ideology that we do not tolerate on TikTok. Content that violates this policy is removed from our platform. Andrew's, Andrew Tate's uh, account was banned months ago. See, the issue, and I don't want to be putting the onus onto everybody else because we know that these companies are very, very powerful. They have a whole lot of technology. They have a whole lot of people working on content moderation. But the issue is people like the four of us in this room, if we see something that we don't like, we can't just tut, we can't just do items on radio shows and internet shows about it. You have to report the content when you see it. And that's what they're, that's what all of the platforms that I reached out to have said makes a difference. Now, it's very frustrating as a user when you do report content and you get an automated reply three seconds later saying we didn't find any violations. But that's essentially how you catch and try to trap the reposting of the content that's there or the content that's uploaded without hashtags because if you think about the amount of videos that go up every single day never mind every month or every year it's a pretty gigantic task so i get i've noticed on youtube reels especially recently like getting a lot of andrew tate videos i've never searched his name mm. i've never searched jordan well, Peterson's phone, name. your phone's listening to you yeah the phone's listening probably so right now to us talking about yeah, him yeah but like you know the way on Twitter you can click not interested in this tweet yeah. or unfollow this or mute this person or whatever it's quite simple but mm. is, it, is it similarly simple on the likes of YouTube Reels or TikTok to, to just go I, I don't want to see this anymore yeah so there are a few different considerations here to like all of these companies and without talking about any one particular for a second all of the companies take a number of factors into consideration where the, when they're deciding when the algorithm is deciding what goes before you so it'll be things like your uh, age things that you've watched before uh, whether sometimes it could be based on things you've searched other videos that you've interacted with it doesn't matter if you watched a video and you hated it mm. if you watch the video for a certain amount of time the algorithm will take that as a positive sign and it'll feed you more of that content even if you watch videos of people trashing this type of talk chances are the next video you get or two videos down will be something related to it so as smart as these algorithms are, they don't necessarily understand your feeling or sentiment towards it. If you look back to what the Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen said um, numerous times in different interviews and different hearings, she said that Instagram or alleged that Instagram and Facebook took negative content as a positive because it got more of a reaction from the user. So content that would elicit an emotional, negative emotional response tended to get more traction. And I'm not saying that that's happening on all of the platforms at all, but I'm just saying that that allegation is out there. And I think, you know, you know that people hate watch things all the time. People are probably hate watching me now and they're going to have a go in the comments. Like that's what people do and that's fine to a certain extent. But the specific nature of the content that Andrew Tate and his followers and his fans are circulating is incredibly dangerous. When it comes to what you can do to block it and so on, so Instagram um, have a number of things that you can do. So you can block hashtags that you don't want to see within your settings. Now, I was playing around with this this morning and I didn't find it as straightforward as it potentially could be. The same has to be said for TikTok as well. But you can go into your settings and you can mute certain phrases, you can mute certain hashtags so that they don't pop up. Um, also then on TikTok in particular, if you comment, follow, like, or have a significant watch time on a video, that all registers as a positive interaction, so you're more likely to see that content again. 
so like from the research that I've done, it's not as clear and as easy to block content as it should be. I know Instagram, because I interviewed them a while ago, they've done a lot about protecting younger people on the platform, um, particularly around like, you know, anorexia and any type of eating disorder uh, content. They are very, very good at shielding a lot of that from younger people. But it's not as straightforward as it should be. You know, you should be able to go in saying, I don't want to see content like this ever again. Um, but in a lot of the statements that I've received from the companies, they're saying that we endeavour or we try to um, take that feedback on board. Is it not true that those sort of bans on certain people who are putting hateful content out there work, Jess? I mean, we saw overnight that like Trump is back mm. on Instagram and Facebook. And it feels, I don't know, from a personal point of view, that he became a lot less relevant over the last couple of years because he wasn't on social media. So, like, why do they feel they can reintegrate these people back into it with these supposed guardrails when clearly it doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, I think it, it comes down... It's such a tricky one, and I don't envy the people making those decisions. In relation to Trump and uh, the meta platforms, he was banned for two years, and they were saying that, you know, an assessment... I think it was Nick Clegg came out and said that they did an assessment and they found that he was no longer deemed to be a threat... Um, and that the public should be able to hear what politicians are saying. So Donald Trump will now be allowed back on to Instagram and Facebook. If he goes back, we don't know. But there's that debate around freedom of speech, right? And you can't just ban people that you don't like what they're saying. It comes down to what's harmful. And I think in relation to Donald Trump, eventually it was deemed to be harmful. And uh, so he was removed. He was suspended um, as far as I know, um, Andrew Tate has been permanently banned from multiple platforms. So he won't be able to come back. And Instagram, I, I believe, have uh, they're keeping an eye out basically for any other accounts he may attempt to set up. But what you have now, like I went on Instagram this morning and I was searching around and you have like Andrew Tate fan one or whatever it is reposting the content and then also trying to sell me merch as well. Mm. So... As much as Andrew Tate's the problem, it's also the people who are following, who are buying into it, who are repurposing and reposting the content. And, you know, misogyny is obviously dreadful and it's one big issue. But there are probably a million other examples of people posting other really hurt, like hurtful, hateful, dangerous content about a myriad of issues that aren't getting attention at this moment in time. Um, so it's a tricky one. Must be so tough for parents of, say, young boys who are like, you know, maybe not tech savvy and yet they have to actively, before they give them a phone or a tablet or whatever it is, you know, tell the platforms that they don't want to see these hashtags or these people or these accounts. But you can't, as you say, a lot of them are fan accounts, so you can't hide all of them. They all just pop up. So I, I, I feel so sorry for parents who have maybe no idea what to do in this situation. Yeah, it's, it's really tough, but like... I've been saying for years that like no kid comes out of the womb holding a phone or a tablet, right? It's yeah. something that's given to them. And I think once that happens and they get to a certain age, there has to be a conversation. But also the parent can't just go, oh, I'm not tech savvy. Like that just doesn't cut it anymore. Like we're all interacting with this technology. And if you don't know how to navigate it, you need to get on and try and figure it out. Like there are so many resources out there to try and help parents. Webwise.ie is a fantastic one. The ISPCC.ie has a fantastic portal for parents. And not only does it give you sort of screenshots on like how to do this, it also has sort of question prompts for, you know, if you're an awkward parent and you don't know how to have these conversations with your kids. 
they have prompts and suggestions for how to get the conversation going and talk through what they're seeing. But this isn't one of those things that you can kind of either pretend isn't happening or kick the can down the road. Because if they're not seeing it themselves in social media, they're going to hear it in the playground. And like I have nieces and nephews and I know that they come home sometimes hearing things that the siblings of their friends are saying, like the older siblings of their friends are saying. And it's not age appropriate. It's not okay. But it does happen. Um, And I think that's always been the case. But particularly content like this is so dangerous. But I do think we need to ask the question of, you know, like what need is it fulfilling for all of those young men who are following it? Like it's it's a wider societal conversation that isn't going to be fixed if TikTok or Instagram or Twitter goes away in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Definitely would help, though. Definitely help to put a lid on it. Like I think the the deplatforming of Milo, for example, that guy just completely disappeared off the face of the earth, largely. Um, uh, Andrew Tate's still massive on Twitter. They're still obviously happy to to take the money. Um, But is it not the case that the people who are looking for this type of leadership or this type of direction will fall into a trap somewhere else along the road? Like, look, I, I, I... completely acknowledge that the rabbit hole of social media is super dangerous like we've all seen like QAnon and all of those different groups and the danger that comes from people just living in these little echo chambers but I do think that if these platforms were gone you will still find these groups will come together in different ways and it will you know much smaller groups much much more difficult to organise I I think the the radicalisation of um, QAnon for example Mm. has been facilitated and accelerated and yeah. amplified by the ease at which... So you used to be a lone lunatic in a small town and now you realise that uh, there are hundreds of you all across the country and all of a sudden you're meeting and marching outside politicians' houses because you found all the other local racists. And I, I, the only way to do... Oh, OK, now it's too late. Like, mm. there are a million messaging apps um, that people can use to do that. So that genie's never going to go back into the bottle. And in fairness, we do have to address the reasons for the lone lunatic who is mm. uh, radicalised into being a complete racist. Um, mm. But, like, the the problem is pervasive. Like, it's, as you say, uh, you're, you're talking about your nieces and nephews there in primary school. This is a primary school issue. It used to be, like, a secondary school issue. Or um, No, I've, like, I've read articles about, um, like, secondary schools in the UK and the US who are holding seminars now to try and de-radicalise all these young males who've bought into the Tate philosophy. Which is really, really, yeah, obviously really troubling, but it just shows the potency of the brand of, you know, masculinity slash misogyny slash sexism that he's pushing. And one of the things he does with his Hustlers University seminar series is tell guys to be controversial. And everything you put out there, 40% of people need to hate it for it to be good. That's the point. And it's like he's, he, a lot of people have questioned whether he's really intelligent as he thinks he is, but he's completely gamed the system. And that's why it's so prevalent. Yeah, but I think there are other figures, and without naming them, but there are, like, even just within the world of sport, there are other very, very, very famous sporting figures who would put out that vision of, like, machoism and what a man is and how you deal with people and all that kind of stuff. So, like, as much as I acknowledge Sandra Tate is a problem and there's no question that he is, it's not just one person. It's the wider conversation of 
like a few years ago, we were all having conversations about mental health and everyone was so open and encouraged to talk about it. And now if somebody says, oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious, people just roll their eyes and going, oh, you get over yourself. Like we get bored of these conversations. This is in the news at the moment because there's a bit of drama, there's a bit of jeopardy and people can go and find out information online with the touch of a button. So it's great. But what happens in six months time when this case dies away, but then those kids who are maybe nine or 10 now are 11 or 12 and they're passing it on to another group of kids. So it, it, it goes beyond just one person. And I do think we need to have these kind of conversations. But the, the part of the issue is as well, like if we post this out later on, are we going to call it Andrew Tate? Is it going to be part of the Andrew Tate content that's out there? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the videos now that are on TikTok and Instagram are people having conversations like this or who are playing snippets of his footage and calling him a douchebag or whatever yeah, it might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, try not to boost the signal. That's uh, one of the one of the takeaways from this. So this piece will never air again and no one will ever see Bye, it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Did this piece even exist? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Jess, good stuff. Thanks a million. Um, more from Jess, of course, on News Talk. Uh, OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless drink. Do you have anything else you want to push? Or anything? Any, no? no, I haven't had coffee yet. I don't know. I don't even know <laughs> what I do. <laughs> We're going to be back tomorrow morning with Ronan O'Gara on the line, fresh from the praise bespoke. 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 Bestowed. You were calling Adrian Nathan a couple of times earlier, so that, that's maybe not as bad. <laughs> it's been a long week. We all need coffee. Yeah, we all true. need coffee. <laughs> uh, his young winger, E.K. Anagu, was on the show during the week and obviously was uh, seeing his praises. So we'll talk to him about that tomorrow with Jenny Claffey in studio for an Australian Open update. The latest around the world with Hannon. If you have any ideas for that, he's pretty desperate. He's asking us for them. This slot may have run its course three weeks in. He looks like a broken man. <laughs> Getting lazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. No, I'll come up with some, some bits and bobs for the slot that everyone loves to hit. OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar